part. What's wrong? Honey. <laughs> it's bigger than you expected? <laughs> Smaller? What is it? It's a, it's a one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. <sighs> oh, God. Clark, it's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Son. If any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there in Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, hopeless, hopeless heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty lip, worm headed sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah! Holy s. Where's the Tylenol? Where do you think you're going? Nobody's leaving. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. No, no, we're all in this together. This is a full-blown, four-alarm holiday emergency here. We're going to press on, and we're going to have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's going to find the jolliest bunch of hap this side of the nuthouse. You're goofy. Don't piss me off, Art. Clark? It's over. Not according to Santa's watch, it isn't. Now, come on, son. Stay out of this, Dad. Clark, I think it's best if everyone just goes home. Before things get worse. Worse? How can they get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. <laughs> damnable shame, by the way, that the line everybody remembers from Christmas Vacation is one that we absolutely can't play on the air. It's a two-word phrase uttered by Cousin Eddie, and you know what I'm talking about. All right. Fantastic. Uh, it's three minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of November in the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This... Uh, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, I am Heath. Thank you for coming along today. We appreciate your patronage and uh, and your presence. Uh, it is Thursday. Good day and welcome to day 12. There you go. Thank you. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. We're here in beautiful downtown Portland, uh, Oregon, and uh, so forth and whatnot. That's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, you want to join us. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol is standing by, ready and willing and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, or the whatever, the leftover in your head. Uh, little observational thoughts, little things wrapped up in foil, tucked away in a bottom shelf of your whatever, your occipital lobe. Uh, all right. 
am I doing here? Oh, you can also email if you like, if it strikes your fancy in whatever, uh, whatever way. It's Rick at Rick Embers. I'm sorry, I'm distracted by all this. Please forgive me for this phrase. I'm distracted by all this pornography that is sitting on the counter. I uh, will talk more about this in just a moment. Um, I'm going to put this over here and cover it so I'm no longer distracted. We'll talk about why. Uh, I know this is the biggest tease, but we'll talk about why there's all this pornography on the counter in just a second. Uh, anyway, it's 503-733-2970 today for your comments, your clarifications, your conventions, your whatever. If you want to email, it's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie uh, with a T at 970.am. Uh, all right, big stuff happening today. Uh, first and foremost, coming up, I don't know, about an hour and a half from now, uh, Chris Jericho, uh, WWE star and wrestling legend. Uh, will be joining us on the program. And I'm not going to pretend to know more about him than I do. If he's kind of big enough that I know who he is and I know some of the stuff he's done, I kind of I haven't really watched wrestling as a fan in some time, but I know uh, that he's a big deal and I know he's got a book out. I think he's got two books, actually. Um, our good friend James is going to step into the studio with us later on because he's actually much bigger. Uh, I mean, he's just much more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. So, uh, but uh, around 1.30 today, we'll talk to... Uh, uh, Chris Jericho from the WWE, author of the new book, A Lion's Tale. So uh, we'll do that later on. What else? Zeppelin giveaway continues today. Really, it just continues every day until we get these things out the door. I think we managed to do two yesterday. But seeing as how yesterday, I think we were already supposed to be at like five. It's not like a really bat in a thousand or anything. So uh, it, it's a six-disc Zeppelin collection along with a holiday ale fest uh, package. So we got that coming up today. Glorious Bastard of the Week. Lisa Desjardins will weigh in on the robot-like Mitt Romney and all of his compatriots last night at the GOP YouTube debate. He didn't answer one question. He didn't. You know what he is? He is sort of like... Well, no, that doesn't make any sense either. I was going to say he's like Clark Kent, but he's not even like Clark Kent. He's just... He's like some weird cyber candidate. I mean, he is He is like Robo-Mormon, where he just... And somebody... Chris Stevens sent me... Sneedon sent me a link to a blog, which in turn linked to another blog where a guy had dissected Mitt Romney's uh, performance, and it really is just that the, the assessment they came to is that he does have personal, this is just their opinion, that Mitt Romney does have personal beliefs, he has convictions, he has moral principles probably, but those don't really come into, those don't really come into play. Like, he doesn't really pay any attention to those when he's running for president. He really will just say whatever is politically expedient. And I know that that's the case with almost everybody. But it does seem a little bit pronounced, more pronounced with him. He seems to have an advanced case of, I will say whatever the focus group has told me to say. For whatever reason, it's not proper for me to answer this at this time. No matter what the question is. It's states' rights. No, it's somebody else's thing. I, and, the, and the fact that, I mean... Well, I don't want to get into it. I, I do, but I don't. I don't even know whether to start talking about this now because we don't have. We're getting Lisa a little bit later today than normal. Lisa will be weighing in around one o'clock uh, about the GOP debate. She's still in transit uh, right now. She would. What was it? St. Petersburg? Is that where it was? I don't know. It was some some godforsaken place. Nobody knows who the candidates are anyway. It doesn't really matter. Aside from Giuliani, it's going to be Giuliani. Doesn't, boy, man, did you expect Giuliani to just go over the, one of the podiums and just start punching Romney in the face at some point, though? I got to tell you, just having watched it last night, I really do just like Giuliani because you get the sense that he's a real person. It, 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 and what I mean by that is there's just this sense of, like, barely concealed loathing and rage right underneath the surface. Whereas Romney... when and all who knows... Well, different phrases. When, when, and when Romney goes to talk, you just sort of hear this robotic hum in the background. Like he's sort of... 
you, you know, like he's 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 the sort of GOP bot five thousand. With so, candidate Romney, what do you think about? Well, I do believe in states' rights, and I also believe that America is a fine country in which everyone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and live up to the promise of our forefathers. And meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani's just over there doing everything but knee-palming everybody else on the stage. And Jesus, that moment where... And I don't mean to sit and go on about it, because I, I know that we consistently label ourselves as being a pretty non-political show, but this really just is... This is the only sport we follow on the program. I'll say that. That and highlight. This is the... Really, politics is the only, the only sport that we follow with any degree of regularity. Because it really is, as Hunter Thompson said, the biggest, meanest, fastest track there is. Uh, and if you screw up on the political uh, on the political track, you will get whacked into hamburger. You and your entire family before you can even before you even out the door. So there was this great moment last night, though, when Giuliani and Romney are up there, and they're talking about illegal immigration, which is sort of one of the, the many sticky wickets that is hamstringing the GOP right now. That and the fact that all of their candidates seem to be like pro-abortion. So it's all very strange. But it's this great moment when they're talking about illegal immigration, and it's a testament to Giuliani and to what like sack the guy somehow has that even with that weird lipless Barney Frank voice of his, he can sound intimidating. I mean, Rudy Giuliani has no lips. First of all, he just has these sort of these sort of flaps on the front of his mouth like a turtle. They just kind of they kind of waver in the wind when he talks, and there's a whole lot of and it, I really would like to get some sort of panel show where it really was just him and and Barney Frank. And then, like, someone whose face was burned off in a fire. And then you just have them all talk together and see if you can spot who is who. Be like that old SNL sketch where there was Tom Petty and Bob Dylan uh, in an elevator together and, like, nobody could understand what anybody was saying. But there's this great moment where Rudy, uh, Rudy Giuliani and Mitt Romney are talking, and they're talking about illegal immigration. And Giuliani comes out with one of those lines that you know he must have just spent weeks in his basement honing it and just pounding it into the shape on, on an anvil. He must have just been polishing it for days and days and days. And he said, he said, well, Mitt, you, just, you happen to have a, a different immigration problem than the rest of us in that you hired illegal immigrants at your mansion. And I mean, it, it, he just kind of went, oh, and just stuck it right in there. And you could tell it was a body blow because the crowd viscerally reacted. The crowd kind of gave a, oh, sound at that, which was, uh, see, this is why I can't talk about it too early. It's not even 2008. All right. Uh, anywho, so Lisa will join us about that. Uh, Steve Castamon will join us today from New York City, where A, well, speaking of Giuliani, where apparently they're, they're trying to hang Giuliani with billing the city for a bunch of private crap that he had done. Uh, and I guess the Broadway strike is off. So if you're headed to New York, you're going to Broadway, uh, apparently all the uh, the plays are all going to be back on there. So And uh, the Christmas trees lit up. Is that true in Rockefeller yeah. Center? Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that. Uh, speaking of Broadway, Sarah Dillon will present her top five show tunes today. Top Which I'm five. still kind of confused about. I think I'm picking the wrong thing. We have this whole debate about what is a show tune, actually. And you know what? Laura and I had this done. discussion as well. What's that? Mine's half done. I'm having a hard time. It's Me too. It's, I'm having a struggle. Like, I, you I have give movies. us enough time. Can I pick movies that have singing in them? Well, no. see, see, Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, see, I this was the, the, this was the whole... Well, let me ask you this, Tim Riley. In yes. your Because we'll see if you came to the, the same assessment that Laura and I did. In your estimation, what is a show tune? It is a show that's presented on stage with singing. So must it come from the stage or have originated on stage? I would say In yes. your assessment? And it could have been made into a movie. Now, see, but now, but see, here's... But what if it was a movie that has been made into a like, stage production? Like the producers. Like Rent? See, but let me ask you this. See, because by then, that assessment, 
I could not have included The Sound of Music, because I don't think The Sound of Music... All right, well, Ben did to make it easy for everyone. See? <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's really hard to figure I, out. It right. became really difficult. And then there was this whole thing about, well, what about the Rocky Horror Picture Show? And, uh, you know, what about the Hedwig and the Angry Inch? And that's just, I have no and, idea. And granted, a lot of people haven't originally seen these things on stage. Or maybe they saw them in a movie first and then saw the stage version. I never really thought that we would be having such a long, in-depth discussion of the merits of show tunes on this program, but it is one of those things that I'd never pondered. Politics and show tunes. No, and that, that's, that, that's it. I'm already tired of politics. <laughs> um, but, well, anyway, so we'll do that. Uh, so today, Sarah Dillon's Top 5 Show Tunes. Uh, tomorrow, the same list from Tim. Um, also today, it's the worst song you've ever heard. Um, so it, can we pick two songs from one that we really like? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I really had to fight to not make mine just six different songs from West Side Story, that's, so that's fine. Yeah, totally. Because I have two songs from one also. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I it really, and I have to tell you this, it, I put America from West Side Story, but it killed me not to put the Jets song on there, because mm. When You're a Jet is like the best song ever. And uh, at least one of yours was a favorite of mine, and because of that, I can't include it. Well, can you tell me which one it is? No. <laughs> well, it's not going to be on well, the I list. I haven't made a final decision on it yet. Uh, all right, fine. Okay. But I'm close. Do you realize that we're talking about show tunes, the same program that we're going to be having, WWE wrestling superstar Chris Jericho. Everybody that is, loves show tunes. That's the big ten. I'm going to ask Chris Jericho his favorite show tunes. Do it. You know, he, you know the great thing about Chris Jericho. Call uh, these people right now so you can have a list prepared. <laughs> and then have him sing them. Please not okay. to sing them. Um, he's a huge heavy metal fan, though. Uh, he actually has sort of a side band that he's in. If you've seen that documentary, um, Heavy, A History of Metal, he's in that. He's on Best Week Ever. Uh, so he, he's kind of a music, he's sort of a music nerd. Uh, so, um, anyway. And he, scarily enough, he kind of looks a lot like a guy I used to live with, so it kind of freaks me out. I, I have one more question. Yeah. Okay, so what if it was, like, a Disney movie, for example, that has since then been made into a stage production? Yes. You're talking about The Lion King? No. A Disney movie that's no, been I'm made into say, a stage production? No, I'm just saying hypothetically. Hypothetically, like, what if it was a cartoon and it was um, made into a stage production? Sure. I'm trying to think of what that even would be. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Well, that's, I guess, that counts. Yes, Disney. Never argue with the mouse. No, I... <laughs> there, there's another phrase that goes with that, but I'm it up for radio. I think... Never argue with the mouse. <laughs> I think that Martin Sheen says that in Apocalypse Now. Never argue with the mouse. Absent goddamn lootly. All right, uh... God, this so, is going to be so bad. He's weighing in on the sound of music. Hello, sir, madam, is the oh, case may be. very good. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yes, the sound of music was a stage play here. They played here in Portland with Maria Osmond as the lead. Really? She played Maria. She played the Julia, Julie, Rob, Julie Roberts' role, or Julie Andrews' role. So yeah, so she played. So she played Fraulein. What's her name? Um, yeah. It, Maria. Wait. Okay. Let's stop. A. When? When was that? Oh God, it's been years because. I saw it with my mom years ago. How odd that Marie Osmond would play in Austrian. That's just weird. Uh, was, she, was she any good? Yeah, it was really good. Huh. Well, all right. Fair enough. I have another Marie Osmond story. Okay. I lived in Utah once, so hey, that was fun living in Spanish Fork, Utah. Oh, yeah, when Spanish. You're not Mormon. Yeah, Spanish Fork's <laughs> a real fun place. Oh, it was real fun. But I worked as a security guard once at the studios there, and she wasn't there, and some cycle fan sent her roses all the time, and I got to take her roses home. Really? Were they yeah. paper roses? <laughs> no, but they were red ones. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm glad you no longer live in Utah. I am glad, too. I'm glad I'm back home. Worst day <laughs> ever. All right. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, Utah sucks. Sucks and blows. 
Okay, uh, plus we'll have Glorious Bastard of the Week today. Uh, a really disturbing Britney watch. I mean, really just so unpleasant that you can't even imagine it. And apparently it's even more unpleasant than I knew because I have part of it. Sarah told me that there's still more to the Britney watch today that I didn't even know about. It's just horrifying. So, um, Taser Watch, and uh, we'll start today's uh, Joy. We'll start the Joy of Christmas. Today's Joy of Christmas isn't very good, but we got to start somewhere. Uh, so we'll do that. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification. And they are vast and endless. Uh, there was a debate last night, but more people didn't watch it than ever. Uh, we'll learn which state is the most depressing in the nation to live in. A lottery winner must give the money back because he's a convicted bank robber. The Broadway stage hands end their strike. Paris wants a baby to play with Nicole's. That British teacher has been convicted of naming that uh, Bear Mohammed in Sudan. She's not going to be flogged after all. The Writers Guild reaches an agreement with ABC. And uh, I found some zany DJ talk for the play, too. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Something you talked about before. All right, excellent. Is it about iPod fatigue? Nope. Okay. Nope. By the way, somebody asked me, somebody accused me yesterday of... of um, yeah, we were talking about iPod fatigue, and the guy's like, I'm tired of you guys referencing this joke that nobody else is in on. You have to explain it. It's pissing me off. So here's what it was, is that Tim had read, I don't remember where it was, uh, but Tim had read some in column. In a trade magazine. In a trade magazine for radio. Uh, it, Tim had read some column by some guy, some, some dick, uh, had written some column claiming that the young people, and young people are who everybody always wants to target for everything, ever. I mean, I'm fully aware of this fact. Uh, that you know, By the time I hit 19, I was already out of the target demographic for almost everything in this country. But radio is just tripping over themselves. They're trying to, they're trying to target young people, and it, they're trying to, you know, fight this uphill battle against people, you know, getting music online and, you know, and, and iPods and iTunes and streaming and YouTube and, you know, MySpace and all that stuff. And so... What they do is it's like a bunch of people. It's like some. It's like a bunch of uh, the Amway users all sitting in a room uh, selling soap to each other. You get a lot of, and I'm sure every industry has this, but in radio you get a lot of these consultants who they'll sit there and they'll go and they'll sit on panels together, or they'll go to conferences or conventions together, and they will sit there and they will eat bad food. And they will charge each other $35 for a ticket to go to this conference. They're and the last people in their age group left in the industry. Not just ours, but any of them. And they all, always. Yeah, always. And, and they then, they, the then they will all go into a panel, and they will sit there for an hour on the panel and tell each other what they want to hear. And they will sit there and just affirm each other's, like, fading Potemkin ideas. Uh, of how their industry is working. And so the latest example of this in radio was this guy writing a whole column about how young people are starting to experience iPod fatigue, which is clearly a phrase that the guy was trying to, like, introduce into the lexicon. That's a phrase that he just fabricated out of whole cloth, and he's trying, he's trying to sort of, like, by saying it out loud, he's just sort of trying to make it so. So young people are, are going to throw away their iPod. Of course. They're tired of selecting their own music. Rather, I'm tired of thinking for myself. They'd rather have don't a, do that anymore. They'd rather have a graying bald guy with a ponytail on the back select their music for them. Uh, all right, Sarah Dillon is joining us today, as she always does. Hello, how are you? I see you're wearing your Gryffindor scarf today. Oh yeah, I got this in Bremerton. I'm bluffing. I don't even know what color it is. It's, no, uh, it's gold and blue. I don't even blue. know what that is. It's a San Diego Charger scarf. Oh, yeah, I've had better. I've had worse days. So let's talk about what you did after the show yesterday. That's really what I want to get to here. Oh, I went and saw the mist. Yeah. How's that? You should not have told me. You to feeling see all that. all good about I life? I wasn't necessarily having a strong day anyway. <laughs> and then I went and saw that. It was so. It was such a bummer at the end. I, um, my friend Tuggy and I went and saw it. We just looked at each other, and it was so depressing. We just started laughing. It was yeah. like, I cannot 
he this he hates you. Yeah. Frank Darabont hates you. It's like being kicked in the he junk never, for two hours, and at the end, he just sets you on fire. He never wants you to love. No. He he, he wants you to um, realize that everyone that you love is going to go away. Like, yeah. He's just he is a bad person. Yeah. I mean, and to think that he's the same. First of all, and he's the coolest guy. Have you seen an interview with him? Mellow, laid back. You know, just just totally like down to earth, and the fact that he did the Shawshank Redemption, which is like the most life affirming thing that's ever been made. It's mm -hmm. the most beautiful movie ever. Um, and then he does, and don't get me wrong, The Mist is exceptionally well made. It was so entertaining. I, it's like two hours and ten minutes. I didn't even notice. It zips by. I had no idea. We got out of the movie and it was like you know six thirty, and I'd been in there at like four o'clock. Yeah. I got your text message uh, or your your voicemail about it. You're like, thanks so much. That's the bleakest thing I've ever seen. Dick. Oh man! Yeah, and, and you know, and it's my favorite type of movie too, where it is a closed room movie. In oh, other yeah. words, like ninety-five percent of the movie takes place in one. And I'm giving nothing away here. This is they establish this in the first ten seconds. It's it gets right to it. It too. takes place in a in a supermarket. The almost the entire movie, uh, literally all but like eight minutes of the movie, takes place in a supermarket. That's it. They, it. I love locked room sort of stories, uh, confined space stories. And so it's a bunch of people in a supermarket, and that's where all but a few minutes of the movie takes place. It's inside the supermarket. And it's just, it's exceptionally well made. But man, that is a mo As somebody once said about Hannibal Lecter, you do not want that in your head. Mm -mm. I mean, I got off the air yesterday, and I sat with Court and Fatboy for about 15 minutes because they'd seen it too. And there's no one else here who's seen it. Just having this like open air therapy session about it because the movie is so scarring. It is just so traumatic to watch. Oh yeah. And the ending is is a you know big downer. But I got to tell you, everything before that isn't like peach fuss. I mean, the, the first hour and a half really you're just well like, made. You're very tense throughout the entire thing. I had no idea. Um, and I won't say what it is, but I had no idea what the mist was. Yeah. Like, and you don't really know, and you're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. I, I, and there's a sequence, there is a brief sequence where they, they leave the supermarket. I'm going to be very careful. I will not spoil in, in any way. But where they, they kind of go out of the supermarket and they go to another place for a while to do a thing. And yeah, I, it just, I know, I, I'm, my skin is uh, crawling just thinking about the freaking movie. And here's, he, if, lest you think that we're just going on to hear ourselves talk. Here's the thing there was like desolate too. There's, there's no one there. going to see it. It mm -hmm. is it is bombing. That's the thing, of course, because it's great. So I got to tell you, it, it's like number nine or something, and it only made like eight million dollars, which is just a, a, what was number one this weekend? Do, Tim, do we know this last weekend? Was it some some crap? Some crap. I don't remember. Probably B movie. So mm -hmm. really, I, I for and I, and this is I'm not going to go on about a movie that nobody has seen. Uh, I'll go on about it a little bit. Um, but just to say this, for people who constantly say, you know, that there's always this, and it's, it's usually correct, that, well, there's no good American horror films, and horror films suck now, and there's nothing scary, and you got to go see this. And it, was like, it isn't to. just scary. It's, it's like It just gets, it's, it's disturbing. It gets in your head, and after you see what the mist is, it's like, okay, well, this might be cheesy, and it's not. Oh, no. Because at first, I'm like, oh, well, this maybe isn't as scary as I thought it would be. And as it continues, and as you get panicky because you realize that you're... You know, when you're watching, you're trapped in that room with them, yeah. and it's like, what What do you do? What would you do? No, it's, There's nothing you oh, can do. It's giving me chills oh. right now. I have to tell you, I have not been as creeped out by a movie in that way. You see what I mean when I say it's sort of different than, let's say, Requiem for a Dream or something? Different kind of dread. 
Yeah. Because it's one is more reality based, and this is Stephen King's. So it's a little kind of fanciful, but it is fanciful, but it also seems like it seems real. It could happen. Seems like it. That's what I was telling Court and Fatboy. Yeah. It's like if it's a thing that in my brain I can suspend disbelief enough to think that it could because happen. Because the characters in the movie are so they act exactly how you would yeah, in that totally. situation. Like, oh, that's BS. There's there's right. nothing. There's out no there. way. It's like I'm just gonna go up, venture oh. out to my car. Oh. oh. I uh, I. Here's what the mist reminds me of, and this is the last reference I'll make, and then I'm going to read one thing about it, and then we're going to go on. I'm not talk about it anymore because I'm going yeah, to pick me I up. I just it bums me out that people aren't seeing it because it's so well made. I, it reminds me of the first time, uh, which was in the theater, the first time I saw the movie Aliens, the James Cameron film Aliens, and Aliens. It was like, as I said yesterday, it was like something crawled inside me and just took me apart from the inside. Uh, you know, it was like something evil just crawled inside me and just died. That's how the mist makes me feel. I mean, it's so well made, but goddamn, it will just f you up beyond all recognition. And my friend, my, my friend Techie isn't phased by a lot of movies. Like Requiem for a Dream, it bothered him, but not really. Yeah. This bothered him. It's it's disturbing in the in the truest sense of the word. I'm gonna read this one email, then we'll move on from the mist. Rick, I'm listening to your podcast for the opening hour where you talk about The Mist. I have read one Stephen King book in my life, Skeleton Crew, the Mist, which is where The Mist comes from. The Mist is one of the short stories in there. That story has stuck with me ever since. It's why I don't read horror to this day. The book stuck with me because it was almost like something that could really happen. I don't watch horror movies, but I'm curious to see The Mist only because I've read it. Do you recommend to stay away or should I go see it? Maybe I'd be renting it when it comes on DVD. Jen, um, well, see, how do you even answer that question? I mean... I mean, if if you want to have a healthy, happy, productive week, don't see it. If, um, if you want to see a well-made, terrifying know film, say. the uh, no. If you if you're if you are already kind of like bummed out about them, like the holidays are getting <laughs> you down, like don't go and see it. I know because the whole oh. I uh, that's it. That's all. I mean, let's stop talking about it. I'm okay, we're gonna move on. Yeah. All right. Two things. One, uh, I, I gotta read this really quickly here. Uh, let's see, because somebody sent me this right before the show. Rick, I was watching... How cool is this? Now, it's got to be a coincidence, but maybe not. Rick, I was watching the 2006 season finale of The Simpsons while eating dinner. There is a sports radio jock, a radio personality, featured in part of the episode. His radio station is AM 970. Now, that has to be a coincidence. That has to be a coincidence. I mean... It would be cool to get the soundbite, even though it probably is a coincidence. I mean, I know in Portland, it's, there's a tendency to sort of project everything from Portland onto The Simpsons or to infer that everything in The Simpsons... And we've established that Matt Groening hates us because we didn't get one of those Simpsons supermarkets. Remember? Jerk. Yeah. Well, uh, there's no AM 970 in L.A. Well, that there, is a, an, there is a 980, and that's KFWB. Yeah. Is KFWB Sports... News. I don't think so. I think there's okay. news talk. I applied for a job there. One of the many places that wouldn't hire me. Okay, so they have a Wikipedia entry on um, media in The Simpsons, and there's something called KBBL at 970.am. Well, KBBL is like their go-to. That's that's the fake radio station they always go to. Uh, they're the home of the Wacky Morning Zoo guys who play the oh oh do 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 oh oh song that mellows or yellow song all the time. That's they're like the kooky Morning Zoo guys. They're always on K, uh, Jerry and the Breakfast Flakes, I think. So KBBL are the call letters. I've never heard it referred to as AM970, though. And so of course just, this isn't loading. Yeah. So that's just kind of weird. Probably a coincidence. That's, but that's cool anyway. But it's cool to get the sound We bite. can pretend that it's not a coincidence. Let's totally pretend okay. that. Uh, all right. One real brief thing, and then we have to break. We'll come back with Steve Kastenbaum and uh, so forth. Uh, let's see here. 
So I came in and sitting on my desk this morning with three things. One, a band letter for Sarah. Uh, let's see. Um, and then I got this. It's two DVDs and a handwritten note with like the worst handwriting I've ever seen. And so, of course, because it's the worst handwriting you've ever seen, you know it's from Timmy Ryan. Hey, Rick. Enjoy. P.S. Do not watch the credits on Northwest Naughty Amateurs, which is one of the DVDs. I was drunk. Tim. Doesn't this look like it was written by a five-year-old? It's just like the worst handwriting I've ever seen. I just have a feeling seen. he's always drunk. Yes. I don't think he is drunk. That's the kind of the, the weird thing about him. I think that he is just He's like always hung that. over. Always hung over, maybe never drunk. So, on my, as you know, Timmy Ryan does music for adult cinema, exotic pictures. Uh, and so he apparently, he gave me two uh, porn, still sealed, by the way, porn DVDs. So now one of these is actually really cool. I think you guys might actually be into one of these. Um, this one is nothing but adult film previews and trailers from the 70s and 80s. It is just trailers. Trailer. Uh, trailer. It is just porn trailers from the 70s, including classics like The Devil and Miss Jones. Um, so also three on a waterbed. The Sex Machine. Was Timmy Ryan actually in the porn? The Miner's Wife. What? Was Timmy Ryan in no, the porn? No, I don't believe so. Well, he said I was really drunk. I don't know. But anyway, so I am totally going to go home and watch this one. It's just nothing but trailers for porn films. Because i got to tell you, we went to that Grindhouse Film Festival a couple weekends ago, and the trailers were some of the best thing about it, because it's trailers for, like, Blackula and, you know, just a whole bunch of weird exploitation films from the 70s. So I'm absolutely going to watch this. But so here's the other one. The other one is this. Um, Northwest Naughty Amateurs, Volume 1. 100% Northwest Amateurs. Oh, my God. I probably know those girls. Um, and I will not... Uh, it, it was nothing... Uh, I won't say anything explicit or anything. But I will just say this. He told me not to watch the closing credits because, quote, I was drunk. So I'm assuming he did the music for this. But why would I not want to see the closing credits? Like, did he use a, Did he make up a name? Did he call himself something dumb in the credits? And that's why he doesn't want me to, uh, to see it? See, because I have to watch it now. Sarah, did you ask to see Northwest Naughty Amateurs? Yes. There you Let's go. see. Ew. Would you need a widescreen to view that? <laughs> well, they are from the Northwest. Mudflap Girls, Volume 5. Girls, can they put that on the cover? Anyway. Yeah, I, well, it's a, it's a cover of a porn film. I think they can do whatever they want. Additional footage not seen on the cable version. Lucky you. So now, of course, I have to go home and watch it uh, to get to the closing credits so I can see whatever it is that Timmy Ryan doesn't want me to see. Yeah, so you don't you feel Ew. like it's sealed, but you still feel like you've got to sponge yourself up. So this but, is all dirty But this is really cool. All the porn trailers. I mean, I hope it's cool at least. Bad, like old movie trailers, especially in the 70s, are fantastic. Um... Do we have the break here? Yeah, we have Steve Castle, Mom, and a few Okay, when we come back, we have... Uh, geez, a full bank of calls. We have a guy wanting to talk about DOA. Somebody wanting to talk about another radio station, and he says, get the wall already. Somebody about Baby Ricky, and then somebody about The Mist. So if you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get you around the corner, as well as Steve Castabon. Stay there. Three. Emerson Radio Program. 503 733 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see. Rick, here's an anti... Uh, I'm sorry. Here's a cure for the mist. He says, as you know, I like dread. This is from our friend Siegfried. 
says, I recommend Enchanted as an antivirus to battle the mist. Now, you should know first and foremost that Siegfried knows more about movies than probably anybody I know. Uh, he was the guy, he came here to pimp the Grindhouse Film Festival. Um, and he's probably the most, he, I would say that, I would say he's probably tied with Aaron uh, Duran for single most twisted and deviated person I have ever known in my life. But I will say that he knows a lot about films, and so this carries weight from him. He says, I recommend Enchanted as the antivirus to the mist. It's amazing to say this, but I really recommend Enchanted. It's an animated Disney character coming to life. It's actually really good with the actress Amy Adams as a vague sort of dim-witted princess. Sarah will uh, really like it. It's well-crafted, and it's a perfect companion to Bummerville of the Mist. Uh, by the way, The Long Walk needs to be made into a movie. Yeah, The Long Walk is, which is uh, another Stephen King short story. I've actually heard really good things about Enchanted. I have to tell you, to be, it makes me sound like a pussy, but the, 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 uh, the trailer looked really good. So it did look cute, and I like uh, Pat, what's his name, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, it's. I mean, it just. I mean, it looked. It looked like a legitimately charming film. So there you go. So if you need a little ray of sunshine in your life, uh, there you go. I really do. Uh, we'll get these calls here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. If you're on hold, we'll get right to you. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing, man? What's up, sir? Did you just say they're making a long walk into a movie? No, no, no. He was saying the long walk needs to be made into a film. Although I got to tell you, the number of people I know who have said it's got a, the long walk has to be made. Into a, it's, I mean, that seems to be the Stephen King short story that everybody agrees needs to be made into a film. Did you ever see um, see or read the uh, app pupil? Oh yeah, yeah. I never. The movie was sort of. Um, I never really got into the movie. The movie was sort of eh to me, but the story. Which is in different seasons, uh, which is the same collection that has the body, which they made into Stand by Me. The story is fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that story really creeped me out, and it was really weird because I, I had just read that story, and I, I said to my friend, this is like years ago, I said, you know, they need to make that into a movie. That'd be a really awesome movie. And then it's almost like I put it out there in the mass consciousness, and it's just like a couple weeks later, yeah, people, you know, with like, Brad, oh, with Brad Renfro or Jonathan yeah. Taylor Thomas or one of those guys. Yeah, it was Brad Renfro and Ian McClellan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a good try, but I mean, the story was just so unbelievably creepy that it's it's hard to do that justice. Hey, uh, I was uh, I was wondering. I know it's kind of a uh, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I'm uh, getting ready to take a uh, a plane ride tomorrow uh -huh. out to the uh, the uh, Midwest, and I won't I won't be able to hear your show next next few days. I was wondering if you could uh, send me off. You know, with uh, some DOA, little, like little, Blood Rock. Little Blood Rock. Uh, when yeah. is your, when, how long are you listening today, sir? I'm listening all day. All right. We'll, we'll do Blood Rock later on on the show for you. Perfect. All Thank right. Uh, Scott Blood Rock. All right. We'll do that later on. Okay. There you go. Thanks. Uh, we'll get Steve Cash and Mom in just one second here. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. This what, is Neil. What's up? Hey, see if you caught the Stephen King interview last week. I think it was on Nightline. I or I read excerpts of it, like where he said that Jenna Bush needed to be waterboarded. I, I caught that part. Uh, I only caught a little bit, a bit of it. I didn't see the whole thing. Yeah, he was talking about how he came up with the myth, you know, like all his other stories. It's his experiences in Maine and all that. Sure. Um, he said that one day he was at the grocery store, the checkout line, and he looked and he saw these big giant plate glass windows, and he thought to himself, "Gee, I wonder what it would be like if giant bugs swarmed the windows." That in the preview. Well. It shows them in some of the trailers. All right. Well, I, to be I fair. I that, too, because I, I wish that I hadn't. Like, I'm glad that I didn't know that, because I didn't know that was what was happening. To, to be fair, I think it is in the trailer, that sequence. But but I will also say, so I don't know if I got all that bleak or not. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not it much of a spoiler. Matter. And it's already, it's been out for, like, what, two weeks now? And, and to tell you, and A, the story's been out for a long time. The movie's been out for two weeks. And B, or Q, or wherever I am now, that's <laughs> really not that much of a spoiler, because if you've seen the trailers, the trailers totally misrepresent the film. 
The trailers yeah, make it. it? Yeah, well, the trailers totally make it seem like a big action film. Like you just see tanks rolling down the street and things exploding or whatever. You know, whatever it is. The, the trailers completely make it look because the studio, of course, needs to. You know, they're trying to. They, they always figure the American public won't see anything that doesn't have a car chase. The studios have totally edited the trailer together to make it look like it's some Will Smith battling giant bugs film. Like it's they want to, They try to make it look like Starship Troopers, which it's not. Um, it's a much different film, but it's exceptional. You really have to see it, everybody. So yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. And it's, I'm glad it's, uh, it seems like it's been a while since there's been a good Stephen King translation. Dude, dude go see it. It's the best It's the best Stephen King adaptation to Shawshank. Will do. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. Yeah, I don't know if that got bleeped. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's it not like a yeah, huge spoiler. Uh, hi, uh, Steve Castamon. How are you today? Doing good. A little tired after last night. Oh, yeah. Well, last night was what? Well, wait, no. Was this was this because of the, the Broadway thing? What, what was last night? I was watching two stories at once, actually. The, the, the end of the Broadway strike and the debate, and I was keeping an eye, uh, an eye on uh, Rudy Giuliani, hoping that Anderson Cooper would ask him uh, the question that he didn't and uh, got the answer that we were looking for. And so the... Uh, well, this are you talking about Giuliani? And this is a whole business of his, um, his what he spent what was it fifty grand or something in security and and in travel or whatever, and he billed it to the city. So here's the deal: Rudy Giuliani gets twenty four hour, seven day a week security as while he's mayor, sure. as does every mayor of New York City. So they have to follow him everywhere he goes. It's mandated, right? Right. So sometimes those security detail uh, officers incur some expenses that are not part of the typical budget, so they get receipts, and they submit it like you and I would at our jobs. Sure. Right? So they submit some receipts, but for some reason, a bunch of these weekends that he was out in the Hamptons, uh, and by the way, uh, every time we asked uh, the press office back then, uh, where's Rudy O? He's with his kids. He's playing golf, whatever. They, they, they lied. They never said he was out at the Hamptons uh, where he was. Uh, anyway. So they uh, they submit these receipts, and instead of them these thirty four thousand dollars in travel expenses getting paid through the normal police department budget, for some reason they were sent to these obscure agencies. They're not even full city departments; they're like mayoral offices, and they were paid through those budget streams. Which means somebody in the mayor's administration said uh, flagged these expenses from those weekends and said. Hey, uh, don't pay for those the normal way we would. We want to put them in these budgets over here, right? The re the thing is, we just don't know why they did it, but it gives the impression that they were trying to hide the, the tr these particular weekend travel trips out to the Hamptons, where coincidentally, Judy Nathan, his current wife, uh, and his then mistress. girlfriend yeah. slash mistress had a condominium. Uh. See, you are such a pro because the way that you just slowly built up and even your inflection, it was sort of, a, you know what it is? The, the great thing about your delivery just now was the implied, wait for it. That's right there. That's totally what it is. You totally had that going on right there. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, well, well, I guess that depends on who one is. Right. Um, well, you know, I, I saw that, um, and last night was just such a contentious face-off between Giuliani and Mitt Romney. Um, who at some point I really did expect them just to start doing it like Rock'em Sock'em candidate style, where they were just going to pummel each other. Um, so this, how big an issue is this? Is this going to become? Are they going to try to? Are they going to try to hang him with this? I don't know. I mean, Rudy, Rudy said the following: I had uh, 24-hour security for the eight years that I was mayor. 
So, so he, there is nothing wrong with that, the fact that, you know, the security was out there with him. And as far as the uh, accounting question goes... They took care of me, and they put in their records, and they handled them in the, in the way they handled them. I had nothing to do with the handling of their records. And they were handled, as far as I know, perfectly appropriately. So there really isn't any wrongdoing in, in these guys, you know, following Rudy around. It's not their fault that he was going where he was going. Right? Sure, right. Well, I suppose. I mean, it's, you know, right. I guess. Uh, the The question is, you know... Were the taxpayers subsidizing his, in, in, his in trip an to see way. his mistress? Right. I mean, because that's the thing, right? That's what will make Americans care about it. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, 50% of Americans' marriages wind up in divorce, and a lot of those folks have that problem because of infidelity. So maybe people are willing to give them a pass on this. I I, uh, well, actually, I think the way that Americans actually live and the way that Americans claim they live uh, when, they, when there's a rooting around in the political drawer are two different things. Right. Um, you know, I think uh, Larry Flint discovered that some time ago. <laughs> Right. Uh, two, okay, other thing. We were talking about show tunes earlier today. First of all, Steve Castamon, let me ask you this. What is your favorite show tune? Oh, Chicago, Razzle Dazzle Them. Hey, well done. And I like that. You know, you get extra points for not even have to think about it. Yeah, you know why? Because some very lucky people here in New York got uh, tickets to shows tonight, tomorrow, and, and over the weekend for uh, $26 to Chicago. That's unheard of. So uh, as soon as the strike uh, was over... A couple of theaters announced they were going to be giving away discounted tickets for tonight and a few other shows. So uh, Chicago beat them all by lowering certain seats to 26 bucks. Unbelievable. So I ran out there. I missed Chicago, but I got tickets for Les Mis. My wife's going to be happy. Fantastic. All yeah. right, so this is so. is everything back on as of when? Today, tonight, tomorrow? Tonight, oh, the curtain will be going up. Fantastic. Okay, I'm telling you this right now. You can just write down this idea. Uh, within the next five years, there will itself be a Broadway musical about the Broadway musical strike. <laughs> You're right. I mean, you know, there was a chorus line, and it's back on Broadway again about not getting the part. You know, I'm telling you, so, no, this is there will be there will be a musical loosely based on this Broadway stagehand strike. You mark my words, it's going to happen. I think you're right. I think you're right. By the way, I have to, I just have to to say I, I was disappointed in Spamalot because it's one of the most popular shows on Broadway uh, right now. Right. They really didn't discount their tickets much today, and I went and asked them, you know, what, what can you do for me? And they said 81 bucks a ticket. Uh, <laughs> well, you got to. I mean, look. The great thing about the Pythons, though, is they're so just relentlessly upfront about it. I remember when Eric uh, Idle from Monty Python came to Portland a while back on just a solo performance tour doing, you know, a lot of the stuff that people remember from those skits. And the tour was actually just called Eric Idle Exploits Monty Python. <laughs> so you got to, I mean, you got to admire that, you know? Totally. All right, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Well, hey, I'll tell you tomorrow what Les Mis was like. Oh, fantastic. Please do. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right, there you go. Steve's always so jolly. Yeah, but see, but the problem is because I am me, because I'm a 34-year-old idiot guy, now whenever anybody talks about Les Mis, I don't hear anything from Les Mis in my head. I hear the La Resistance medley from oh. some, God has smiled upon you this day. I mean, that's just like, I I don't know why. Here I come, God. Here I come, you rat. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, how are you today? I am fantastic. That's a lie. Okay. Uh, I saw, I was Moving on. I, I was driving down 82nd. I glanced to my left. I saw, hey, that baby looks familiar. Oh, it's oh, baby Ricky. Now I feel bad. Uh, I think you didn't feel that bad. It's on 82nd, and we forgot where. 82nd and what, like Division or something? I don't know. So somewhere out there. I just glanced over. I went, I'm first, of course, I noticed the baby before I noticed the sign. Like, of course, because it's, uh, it's a huge... Because it's a huge... It's a huge... It's a gigantic, baby. weird, you know, and I only say weird, not because the baby has Down syndrome or such, but the, it's like they caught it at like the worst possible angle. It's like the baby was in mid-belch or something, 
And they're like, you know, feed it a lot of gas-inducing food. Snap. So there you go. Yeah, baby and Ricky, eighty-second and something. Yes. And I have one more question. Uh huh. And it ha- you got you did it a lot of last week. What's with the? I barely know her. We did it a lot last week. Yes. Uh, it, it, I I don't understand. I don't, I don't get the joke. Then <sighs> might be just something old, and I don't know. Now are you being uh, now are you being deliberately obtuse, or do you really not get the joke? I do not get the joke. Okay. There is a well. It's a, it's an ancient joke. It is not our joke. Uh, it is a joke that, that people, it, it, especially in Britain, have told uh, for the longest time. And it just kind of crept into our vocabulary. I've been doing it off and on. It's addictive. But, yeah, it crept into our vocabulary last year sometime, and now we've just been doing it forever. Um, it is, it, is a, um, it, it has its roots in uh, an old British joke that is corny, but which I will now have to tell uh, so people understand. Um, you know, in uh, many British dialects, things that end with, a are pronounced er, such as um, like uh, when Liam Gallagher says champagne supernova, but he says champagne supernova. Uh, and you can hear that in New England accents, too, like when Tim will talk about Cuba and Tim says Cuber sometimes. So you have to operate understanding that many words in uh, the British dialect that end in A are pronounced er. Okay, do we all understand that? Okay. So, also you need to understand, I know that this is a long-ass explanation, but it's the only he asked where it came from. You also have to know that in Britain, to make a woman is to have sexual relations with her. So if you if you make a woman, that is to know her biblically. All right. So there you go. That's the basis. There is this ancient joke in England where a guy says, uh, "Yeah, so uh, I uh, I met this uh, I met this really hot girl when I was in the Caribbean," and the guy says, "Jamaica," and the guy says, "Jamaica? I barely knew her." <laughs> and I mangled the joke. I effed up the joke, too. But, yeah, the guy says Jamaica, but it sounds like Jamaica, which sounds like the Jamaica, which sounds like, did you F her? And then the guy says, no, I barely knew her. Uh, that hurt. It's bad. Just bad. And so now, blah, 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 er. I barely knew her. Have a good day. He sounds all defeated. Why is he so... Like, was so much less interesting than he was hoping for. I don't for. think you're in a good mood, Rick. Like you could tell, he was, it was like such so much less interesting than he was angling for, and the and the explanation is so long. Mm-hmm. Having to explain where that joke came from, uh, well, it's just it makes sense. I mean, like broker, I yeah, barely knew her. Like, it. Like it totally, it's funny. Like I don't, it doesn't really need an explanation. It's just it's amusing for its own sake. But if you really need to know, like the or maybe it's not funny, and we're just I, I I don't care if anybody else thinks it's funny. I think it's damn. Funny. I do too. Uh, so I mean, yeah. So if you really need to know the underpinnings, I mean, it just takes forever. Um, this email says, Rick, there's a chance that Frank Darabont might make a film of The Long Walk. He talked about it on Ain't It Cool while talking about The Mist. Um, anyway, da 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 So, uh... And he's currently, uh, yeah, he's just getting ready to make Fahrenheit 451. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. Um, by the way, Stephen King says, uh, The Long Walk is so downbeat it makes The Mist look like young Frankenstein. I don't really agree with that. I don't find The Long Walk, and I know you haven't read it, but The Long Walk... Do you read much Stephen King? I did when I was younger. I haven't read it in a while. He gets, um, not from us, but I mean from society as as a whole, he gets a bad rap. People knock him for being a hack or whatever, and I think that's just a lot of, I think that's a lot of disdain because he's so popular. I think his books are so popular, and because I think his books sell to people, a lot of people who, how do I put this? His books sell to, to, to readers, but I think a lot of uh, Stephen King readers are people who don't read other books. Mm-hmm. His books sell to people who typically don't read a lot of books. And so I think because of that, there's a tendency to look down their nose at him. But he's such a masterful storyteller. And he's just so freaking warped. I mean, did, did you, have you ever read the book Apt Pupil? 
Yes. And I've seen the movie, which is messed up, too. Who comes up with that? Well, I'm living next door to a neo-Nazi, and I'm a warped 15-year-old, so I'm going to kidnap him, and I'm going to teach him everything, have him teach me everything there is to know about being a Nazi war criminal. Who? There's this story in Skeleton Crew called, um, Jesus, what is it called? It's called, uh, I think it might actually be called Survivor. But anyway, it's about a guy, a doctor, who is in a plane crash, blah, 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 blah. And it's just a short story, so he can get away with having no real plot, just effing with you. In the in the book Skeleton Crew, which is an anthology, this is going to turn into people. Everybody telling their favorite Stephen King story. But this is a doctor who crash lands on a desert island with like medical supplies and whatever, and it's him. And there's no food, so the whole story is him slowly amputating and eating himself. Are you kidding me? The, the end. That's it. That's the whole story. And it's only about, wrong with Stephen. It's King? about 45 pages long. And he clearly just had that in his head and was like, well, I'll write that into a story. And, it, it, you know, and he actually says, I have an interview with him, a book called Bare Bones, which is nothing but interviews with Stephen King, which is really good. And they ask him about that story. They're like, so what about this story where the whole point is a guy eating himself slowly? And he's like, well, I was thinking about cannibalism because that's a thing that guys think about, which is and it's totally true. And then he just, you know, so there you go. Um, yeah, so here's Darabont talking about them. Oh, my God, them. silly amputating and eating yourself? Yeah. Oh. He starts with his earlobes, just in case you were curious. Bam! <laughs> Sorry, why are you looking at me that way? That is just so wrong. I didn't write it. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hey. Boy, what, what a caller that last guy was. He was a you firecracker. Say, well, I mean, the recipe for being a poor call is when you call up, Hey, no, you're not doing fantastic. And then, and then you try for the old, uh, hey, uh, how, how come you always say welcome to day 12? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, just some, some old question that you've been doing for years. I'm sorry that the call annoyed you and didn't pass muster, sir. No, I... I'm, I'm sorry. No, hey, hey, you got a great program. It's absolutely great. The, uh, the Simpsons, uh, alternate radio station was yeah. the country station KUDD. It was a God. don't touch that dial. They're good on it. All right. Uh, oh, and one, and one more thing, Don and yeah. Mike rule. You're, you got a great show, but Don and Mike are so frigging funny. A guy from Santa Barbara called up during the wildfires, and he's like kind of loose to thing about it. Oh, you know, my house almost burned. And Don and Mike start playing that old pop song, Wildfire. Right, right. <laughs> hey, Tim Riley rules. Thank you, sir. No, I'm a huge Don and Mike fan. Uh, so, uh, so yes, if you have not, uh, if you like Rick Emerson, you'll love Don and Mike. Uh, they're uh, tonight and every weekday, uh, 7 to 11. Survivor Type is the name of that story. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all warped. Now I got nothing but all these Yeah, I will never read that. Story. Uh, it, it, to me, um, the uh, the best, uh, not his best novel, but the best Stephen King anthology is Night Shift, I think, and I think most people agree on that. Night Shift, which is just the most unbelievably warped collection of stories. I mean, just just things that just should not be, just things you shouldn't think of. Um, uh, here's it. Now that we're just going a little long here, uh, I will tell this one Stephen King anecdote. Then we'll do these calls and we'll break. And we'll come back uh, because we do seem to be we do seem to be doing a, a sort of an impromptu uh, sort of an impromptu uh, installment of the Rick Emerson Show's book club. So uh, the great thing about Stephen King is that he has just a uh, 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 um, an embarrassing Richmond uh, Richmond Richmond 
amount, cornucopia. He has a lot of ideas in his head, so many ideas that, as somebody once said about, um, as somebody once said about uh, uh, um, the, uh, the what's his name, uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, th- th- there are just so many things in his head that little asides and throwaways in Stephen King stories, the throwaways and the little tiny little cutaway sections are so good they themselves could be a whole story. There is this story in uh, in Night Shift, and I, it doesn't matter what the actual story is about, but in the story there is a guy himself relating an anecdote to a friend, and he tells... They're talking about something else, and the guy tells, in the story, the guy tells a friend of his this anecdote about working in the New York City sewer system. And he tells the most horrifying anecdote about how, at some point, there was some sort of blockage or stoppage in the sewer system, and they couldn't figure out why, and so, you know, the sewage wasn't passing through correctly, and they couldn't figure out what it was. So he's telling this anecdote, and as he tells the story, a guy goes down into the sewer to kind of, you know, look into the situation and come back up. And, you know, to figure out what was wrong. The guy uh, has like a harness on him and a rope. And after a while, the guy just starts yanking on the rope furiously. And they're like, oh, he must be stuck or something. So they haul the guy back up in the rope. And his skin and hair have just gone bleached white. And he's just and he's just in a stupor. He's just completely catatonic. And they're like, God, something weird happened down there. Maybe he got hit by a chemical or maybe there's some sort of weird fungus or some, some sort of germ or something down there. And so the guy, his hair is white, his skin is white. Yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah, total, thing. totally canatotic. They can't figure out what happened. They take him to the hospital, and the guy stays there for a while. And when the guy comes out of his canatonic state, all he says is, he just says this. He says, "Have you ever seen a spider as big as a dog, with cats wrapped up in its web?" And I mean, that's it. And that's just a tiny anecdote within a story that a guy is telling in one of these. It's like it's maybe a paragraph long inside this other story. And you're like, that would make a whole story in and of itself. That's how good Stephen King. His head is just filled with bad. I read it when I was too young, and I oh, oh, oh. that stuck with me. I couldn't sleep for weeks, oh. and I saw the movie and that sequence mm. in it where the kid sees the guy turning into a spider inside his clothing. That's just wrong. Oh, see, the spider stuff doesn't bother me as much as it does you. Like, oh. I thought it was creepy when, like, the dead father was, you know, waving. Oh, from the, the whole thing. Like, the whole sewer system and everything. Oh. <laughs> Pennywise. Sorry. Um, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, guys. It's hi. Penelope. What? Hello, Penelope. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Hey, uh, so, you know, Stephen King is my absolute hero. I read Cujo when I was nine. That was my first That's another piece, messed up book. Oh, man. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, so I love the man. I love him. I think he's brilliant. And, uh, you know, movies just do not really, they're just not done well. Here's a little fun, fun fact. He was so drunk during that era, he doesn't remember writing Cujo. Doesn't doesn't remember it at all. He he said that he you know he knows he wrote it and it got published. He was so drunk he wrote and published an entire novel and has no recollection of it. That's amazing yeah. to me because if you think about influential in your head, freak out. Yeah. Joe will do it. All right. Yeah, so, no, he's a genius. The Mist. One quick question. Yeah. I'll let you guys go. The yeah. Mist. Tell me it's better than 1408. I was so disappointed. I never saw 1408. Uh, I, heard, I heard mixed reviews on it, uh, so I can't compare, but I'll say The Mist is the scariest thing I've seen in probably a decade. God love you. I'm All on right. my way. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Cujo. Oh, we got a break. All right. 
Yeah, I never did read Cujo. Oh, man. Well, you know, yep. it's another high concept, you know. Hey, so let's say a woman is in a car and it breaks down in the middle of a vacant lot and there's a rabid dog outside. The end. Go. I mean, that's his whole thing. Just set up some really perverse scenario and then, you know, start. <sighs> I just feel a little unclean. All right, we're take a break. Back after this with Tim Riley. That'll cheer us up. Don't go anywhere. I don't know. Richie's busy. I never thought I'd say this. Richie's busy watching porn as part of his job. Um, because Timmy Ryan dropped off his porn film that I think he worked on. And he's like, don't watch the credits. I was drunk. We're watching the credits, of course, and we don't see anything. We're doing these screen captures. I see nothing. I see nothing. Ladies and gentlemen at the Ministry of Truth, there's something in the mist, and it's Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Rodney King has been shot. You probably don't remember him, but before there was OJ, he was the gold standard for troublemaking. He and, was the, and for and for uh, uh, he was the gold standard for uh, trials that united slash divided the entire country at once. Yeah, and there was a riot right afterwards, so it, it was kind of a two for one thing. Uh, it, it all originated back in 1991, and as time went on, and as history has shown, he turned out to be a scum anyway. So uh, he got shot last night in San Bernardino. Which is really strange. Well, I guess that's where he lives now. He was struck in the face and arm in what appeared to be pellets or birdshot. When police arrived at King's home, they reported that King and others are outside and they appear to be drunk. No, really, I'm stunned. Yeah. So he was taken to a local hospital and his wounds are not <clears throat> to be believed to be life-threatening. Because he is such a role model. He is. For, 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 for our youth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When was that? 91? 91. Jesus. You and, probably Do you remember that, Sarah, at all? I... Yeah, I remember hearing about it, like, um, you know, on the outskirts of Where my were you mind. living in 91? Uh, in 91, I was in Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Well, there were riots there. There were overturned yeah. police cars that got set on we fire. We had the best riots in L.A. Oh, no. you Well, you were you, you guys are the gold standard in L.A. I mean, they, they, L.A. riots, you know, we won something. Riot. We've lost something. Riot. Somebody's arrested. Riot. Somebody's acquitted. Riot. You know, it doesn't... Riot is like... That is the film... That is the one answer to the L.A. Mad Libs. Yeah. So, uh... I mean, everybody was stealing uh, those baby diapers and uh, ripping off stores and whatnot, and people were shooting at each other, and there was no protection for anyone. It no. was really unreal. No, it was, I, I mean, I was far away from Los Angeles, but it was just a surreal time. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to get bogged down in the Rodney King thing. It was, well, it was, it was interesting be, to be there. It was. The I earthquake mean, was good, too, but that was even better. I, I will just say this, uh, that when, I remember when the cops were acquitted, Still just staggers the imagination, by the way. Whatever wow, scum. so long ago. I mean, yeah, and, and however uh, however retarded a person Rodney King might be, and I do believe the answer is incredibly yeah. retarded. Yes. Um, Very much so. Wasn't he driving like 150 miles an hour and or something to a residential he, neighborhood while drunk? Yeah, and then he, he's in Pacoima, and there's only two reasons to be there for a gang meeting <laughs> or, or, or to buy or sell drugs. That's what Pacoima is all about. <laughs> Pacoima, you'll love our new crack. Um, 
And anyway, so I mean, Ronnie King is clearly like not a role model for anything no. except ruining your life. Although he changed his first name, is he now Ronald? Uh, well, no, he used to be motorist Rodney King, <laughs> beating victim Rodney King. So now he's just playing Rodney King. B V R King, beating victim Rodney King. Um, the but it's just one of those stories where there was just like no good guy, you know? No, because clearly Rodney King is a dick, uh, and 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 not all that bright. And and I think as many people. Uh, is said. Rush, Rush Limbaugh actually made this statement. The day after they awarded Rodney King all that money, Rush Limbaugh came on the air and he said something which I think we all know in our hearts to be true. He just said, you know what? No matter how much money they give Rodney King, he will die broke. And we all know that that's true. Yeah. He had what? Because what did he immediately do? He invested. This is a true story, by the way. Uh, Rodney King. Yes, in a in a hip hop label. Uh, Rodney King started King Records, and it was a big K with a crown hanging on the side of it. Uh, that immediately failed, I think, and I don't know where, I, I, it would be interesting to do a follow-up now to see where Rodney King's money is, where it's gone, and how much is left. Because mm -hmm. I'm guessing the answers are none, none, zero, gone, gone. Um, but but there's just no good deck, because he's clearly a nitwit. Yeah. And then, of course, these these cops were obviously, just, in my opinion, really... They're, they're not Jack Webb cops. No, just really into the whole beating a guy thing. Um but I remember when those cops were acquitted, which just, just, like, stunned everyone. I mean, I don't know if I'm speaking for the entire country, but I do believe I am. That, however, whatever Cretan Rodney King uh, may have been, I remember whether or not you thought the cops were justified, and I think it was the assembled opinion uh, of most of America that they uh, probably could have gotten away with hitting him just three or four hundred times, and not like eight hundred times, um... Whether or not you thought that it was justified, everybody assumed they would be found guilty. I mean, it wasn't even at that point whether you thought uh, that they had done right or wrong. It's just that you assumed. You just took it as read mm -hmm. that they would be convicted because that videotape was just so unbelievable. I mean, it was just like it was. Do you remember how many times oh. that was played? That's probably been played more times than, no joke, probably more times than the 9-11 footage. And here's why I say that. If you remember, at a certain point, the news media all got together and said, we're not going to show the planes hitting the building anymore because F that and we're done with it. Uh, they decided not to show the 9-11 crash footage anymore. The Rodney King thing, there was no moratorium on that. They showed that forever. They still show it. Yeah. Every time his name comes up, he's at the slow motion like, wow. I was watching Malcolm X the other night, which is a fantastic film. And that opening credit sequence, Malcolm X, by the way, for my money, has the best opening credit sequence in all of, in all of cinema. Because it's a Malcolm, it, it's because it's just so inflammatory. It is just it is Spike Lee doing everything he can to make my uh, to make my in-laws angry and afraid. The and I do have a point with all of this. The opening I will work my way back to this story. The opening credit sequence to Malcolm X. If you haven't seen it, it really is like the most inflammatory thing ever made. It is just uh, it opens with a full full frame full screen shot of an American flag filling the entire screen, an American flag, and then you hear Malcolm X doing that speech that we played the other day about you know. I charge the white man with, you know, and it's this whole thing about how the white man is, you know, the, the biggest hooligan and the, the big bastard and F, you know, F that. Just, just, Malcolm X is all angry. And then they start cutting back and forth between the flag and the slow motion Rodney King beating. So you've got Malcolm X screaming about things. Then you've got the Rodney King beating. And then they keep cutting back to the American flag. And then slowly the American flag catches on fire. So then you've got Malcolm X screaming about the evils of humanity. Uh, and the Rodney King beating, and an American flag burning, and then of course the American flag burns down until it's just an X, and it was like it was like Spike Lee sat there with, 
What can I do that will make every single person in America angry? What can, what is the what is the be, the most the, the, conflagratory uh, the, the combination of images that I can possibly come up with? So it's just the weirdest time though that when they said you know we find the cops you know not guilty beat away and and we would just it was like a collective WTF I think the likes of which this country had never experienced at that point. And then it was right after that that uh, Reginald Denny got pulled out of that truck oh, at Florence and Normandy. Do you remember seeing that, too? And that is what kicked out the cell phone craze because nobody in L.A. wanted to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You remember the intersection, don't you? Yep. Florence, Florence and Normandy. And Normandy. Yeah. I mean... And that's when everyone went out and got a cell phone to call people to make sure they're not in the wrong place again. <laughs> totally. It's like, a, I don't, should I be? It's like, because everybody, nobody wanted to have, like, their dad come visit them and get lost. Uh, son, I'm in... What's Oakland? You know, and it's yeah. just the next thing you know, it's just the sound, just the sound of fist on on jaw. Um, Jesus. And that happened shortly after that. Well, and, and that was captured live because I remember watching oh, KTLA. God, I remember it, it, that guy that dragged Reginald Denny out of the truck. I and realized he was unrepentant. Oh no, he was no, he was he was lucky. Because I remember really watching that it. court case. Yeah, no, he he was a big fan. It, it was amazing that Reginald Denny lived through that. Um, the um. Do you realize that for for a program that really just is basically just a, a bunch of nitwits with microphones, now today we've done like 10 minutes on Rudy Giuliani, now we're talking about Rodney King. But it really was just a weird slice of American culture where you just felt the country sort of coming apart at the seams. That moment when he pulls Reginald Denny out of the truck and then hits him in the head with a brick, and then if you remember this, does like a little... Uh, like a little end zone dance. Mm -hmm. Like he hits him with the brick, and he, he if I remember correctly, he throws his hands up and does kind of a, what's up? Kind of a, after, sort of like a, I've hit Reginald Denny in the head, I'm going to Disneyland kind of a moment. Um, yeah, I remember the, it, it, that, um, this sounds like this sounds like such a such a fabricated story because it sounds like the setup for some sort of a 12 Angry Men stage play or something, but this is true. I, I do remember that, at the moment, when we found out that the Rodney King cops had been acquitted, I remember I was in uh, what I guess the, the, the common term for this is a a mixed uh, a, a mixed group of people, peoples of all genders and ethnic backgrounds, and I just remember like being no more conscious of my whiteness than at that moment. I had never felt more white in my life than when they say. And so these cops that beat Rodney King 1,100 times or whatever it was on camera, uh, that's okay. You can, it's fine. Go home. And at that moment, it's like, oh, my God, I'm the whitest person on earth. I'm so sorry. I just, uh, uh, and what happened after that was if you were white and African-American, <laughs> some coming, of us are. Coming, coming toward you on the street, you look Hello, away. You, how are you today? No, that's, you know what? And it's that's, and I'm glad you mentioned this because I wasn't going to tell this that little... Because I did that and a lot of other people did that. Oh, you're just so... Hello, I'm not going to beat you. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I'm so white. I remember about five minutes after we heard the Rodney King verdict, when the cops walked, um, I left the room I was in and I walked down the hall to use the bathroom. And this again, this is why I didn't tell this part of the story because it sounds so made up. It sounds like it sounds like uh, it sounds like it, like a uh, like that movie Crash, where there's just all of these coincidences happening just so we can explore race relations. That's what this sounds like. But it's I swear to you, it's true. Rodney King uh, verdict comes down. The cops walk. Suddenly, I was just thinking, oh, oh no, I really am the devil, you know. And and I'm like, oh, I, I, I gotta leave. So I get up and I walk out and I go down the hallway to walk to the bathroom. And it was like God had just set things in motion just this way. Just at that moment, 
here comes a black man walking down the hallway who, like, there was no pretending that we didn't all know the news. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody had been around a television or a radio. Everybody knew. And so I'm walking down the hallway, and then here's this black man walking toward me, and I swear to God, I just looked at the carpet, and I just, I literally did, like, the Charlie Brown, like, Na, 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 na. Just slumped over, shuffling sadly down the hallway, feeling sad and ashamed. I mean, it was just, boy, that was effed. And, and, and it was right after they showed that beating on television that I started getting calls from relatives on the East Coast saying, don't you dare go outside right now. Have you been beaten? Uh God, I didn't realize that that's when everybody started getting cell phones in a part of the country anyway. That, that was one of the main reasons. They wanted to know if they were driving into an unsafe area. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the burning and the looting went on for at least a week after that. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, all of Koreatown went up in smoke. Oh no, that that I mean, it just it seemed to never end. If you remember the L.A. riots, it just seemed, and I wasn't there, but it just watching it on 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 television, it seemed like it was never going to end. It was like, and because it just escalated, every night was worse than the night before. And I remember those shots, which must have been like those shots in New York in '77. I remember just those shots of L.A., and it just seemed like the whole city was on fire. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, L.A. is the second largest city in America, and by some criteria, the most important city in the country, regardless of what New York City may think. It is the most important country in, in the world in some ways. And just seeing the biggest, most powerful city in the world on fire, the whole thing looked like it was on and, fire. And, of course, that was built as being harmonious to all Seriously, cultures and creeds. <laughs> everyone, everyone rubs shoulders easily and friendly here. We are and, the world. Oh, and and so even in Seattle, though, I remember uh, there were cop cars overturned, set on fire. Jesus. And then that was. And the weird thing is to think that that was only, that was only about four and a half years before uh, the OJ trial. Mm-hmm. And I mean the OJ trial, which just is, is is very much the same in some ways, but very different in other ways. But goddamn, boy, that Rodney King thing. Yeah, was it was just, the Rodney King trial, uh, the riots. Then the uh, the North Ridge earthquake, and then the OJ thing. Yep. And those those were the, the defining moments of the 90s. <sighs> yeah, I would say that Rodney King video, and then we'll move on to something less uh, hitty. Uh, I think I've probably seen that video more frequently than any other any other televised image in history. I think I've probably seen that more than anything else. I mean, everybody has. I think that's probably the most shown, most shown and broadcast video clip maybe ever, would you say? Yeah. I can't think of anything shown, but maybe the moon landing. Maybe those first shots of Neil Armstrong on the moon. But other than that, anyway. Ugh. All right. Here's, uh, I'm just all, you know, everything is creepy today. It's just a whole weird day where everything is just strange and odd. All right, here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, more breaking news. A British teacher in Sudan has been convicted of inciting religious hatred for letting her pupils name a teddy bear Mohammed. But uh, they're not going to give her a whipping after all. She's been sentenced to 15 days in prison, and then she'll be deported. So wait, that's so, a good lesson for people who think they're going to help out poor people. Now, wait <laughs> In what country is this? Sudan. All right. And, it's and, an African country. So she's a Never teacher. Yeah. And she named... She, the kids, the, the, she allowed her pupils to name the, a teddy bear Mohammed. Is this at a... Uh, uh, okay, was this at like, like, a, like a religious school? I believe so. Because well, the kids must have been primarily... Were they Muslim the, school children? This is they called must have uh, Unity High School. Either was it, but I mean, were the kids Muslim or something? Yeah, is, well, it's a Muslim country. But I mean, then what's the oh? That, but that because Muhammad cannot be linked with an uh, an image or a teddy bear that or a teddy bear. That's right. Okay, it all came together in my head. I couldn't figure out why, and it's because there are no 
God damn, the world is just full of people who well, never try to help poor people because they well, just seriously and just. God, ninety percent of the people on this planet. Every, every, I think like one out of every two people on this planet has some serious mental deficiency. Um, because I, I put it all together in my head as you were saying it. This is like that idiocy with the Danish cartoon yeah. two years ago, where the guy drew a picture of Muhammad. It's like we have to kill him. He drew a picture. Uh, the uh, and so this is because there can be no representations of Muhammad. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but seriously, whatever. I mean, Jesus. God damn. I mean, if things like that ruin your Christmas, you can't. You really Stay can't. Stay home where you're appreciated. <laughs> Stay at home with the door locked. I'm sorry. I got like a whole thing. I'm making some like horrible sound in my throat. No, that's too bad. He's Zeus Headstrong. Who? Really? Wait, is that why Timmy Ryan didn't want us to watch his... His, his name is Zeus Headstrong? He's in that motion picture? Now, or is he just in the credits as, what, the music? Production manager. Production manager, Zeus. Why would he be ashamed to be in the credits? Especially with Zeus Headstrong, which is on um, IMDb. I don't know. Zeus. So is there any picture? It's just his name? No picture of him? Zeus Headstrong is like, wait. Well, no, it's in the back of the box. It's in the back of the box. It says Zeus Headstrong. Um, all right, excellent. Well, we'll look into this. Thank you. Oh, is this audio from the porn trailers? Are they clean? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Excellent. Well, Are they appropriate for work? Well, depends on what work you're talking about. <laughs> the work of the Lord? No. Here's Tim Riley. Our Republican candidate, Ron Paul, is getting support from an unlikely source. Legal brothel owner Dennis Hopp says he's come out in favor of the Texas congressman. Hopp says he's getting all his bunnies together from his Moonlight Bunny Ranch to help raise money for Paul's campaign. So if you come into the Bunny Ranch and you say, I'm pimping for Paul, you get two bunnies instead of one. Two for the price of one. He's yep. hoping that Ron Paul comes out to the ranch. And we're collecting money. We're asking all the customers. We're telling them about Ron Paul. And we're asking them to donate. And the last thing is we want to do a fundraiser New Year's Eve. HBO is going to film an hour show at the Bunny Ranch, and we want Ron to be there and do a fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, whatever you say. Uh, we've interviewed that guy, Dennis Hoff. We had him on at one point years ago, I think. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm looking at the video capture here. Yeah, so blah, 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 production assistant. Zeus Headstrong. Well, that's not bad. Not as bad as one of the cameramen, cameramen whose name is Manny Partners. <laughs> Manny Partners. That is so dumb. It really is. But, you know, porn is so dumb that it kind of becomes art in a weird way. It sort of becomes like, it sort of becomes poetry in a horrific way. Here's Tim Riley. Let's do the Joy of Christmas, our first one. Here's uh, your inaugural installment of Rick Emerson's Joy of Christmas for 2007. <laughs> so I have a couple of these today. Uh, yeah, the one I pulled isn't even that bad, but you got to start somewhere. All righty. Well, a Grinch-like robber was nabbed after he attacked a 72-year-old Westbury man as he strung Christmas lights in his front yard. Santos Yavera followed Hernando Herrera inside his house, uh, put a BB gun to his head, and trashed his living room tree with biblical figurines. Oh, I'm sorry. And biblical figurines. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and the wise men fell to the floor. He smashed up the nativity scene. Isaiah of Hicksville demanded cash and jewelry and tried to rough up the older man. But Herrera fought back and forced Zayera 
to uh, flee with a cheap watch and a bruised ego. This deeply religious man says uh, there's no way a punk Robert could ruin his holiday spirit. Part 2. This comes to us from Corvallis. Mary Moran figures she'll turn a three-foot step in her front yard into a Christmas statement of sorts. The Corvallis woman awoke today to find her long-needled pine that the family had decorated for many, many years was cut down and stolen during the night. Aww. The family planted this tree ten years ago. It was about 20 feet high. The neighbors and grandkids loved this tree. She said the thief probably had chosen the house at the end of the dog cul-de-sac and brought a truck and carted it away. How do you not hear a tree fall? It's valued well, at maybe no one's there. To... That's true. Uh, and the thief fastidiously <laughs> had taken... He took the lights off the tree, draped them on rocks around the uh, tree's raised bed. I'm probably going to string the lights around the base of it just to light the base and remember the times that we had a Christmas tree here. There you go. The saddest Christmas ever. Mm. There you go. There's your inaugural uh, Joy of Christmas for 2007. Fantastic. Uh, let's see. What do we have here? Um, man, it's a terrifying story about monkeys. We'll get to that later. Um, this is the, this is the kind of email only this show receives. Rick, say, and then it actually does say that. Say, comma. What was the title of that book you described on air with the two guys sucking human bones in a lifeboat? Ugh. I'm proud to say that that's uh, In the Heart of the Sea. In the Heart of the Sea by Nathaniel Philbrick. Uh, fantastic. Um, all right. Uh, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. In the Heart of the Sea? In the Heart of the Sea. Uh, it's the most disturbing book I think I've ever read. Uh, very good. Deeply disturbing. There's something. He, maybe, well, I'll save this one for later. Is it awful? Uh, yes. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to try to find something not quite as odd. Oh, here's a, a new shopping cart law. The city of Beaverton will become the first in Oregon to use a new law that allows cities to fine retailers $50 for each shopping cart they fail to retrieve. The retailer would have three full days to get the carts after they've been reported as abandoned. Beaverton Mayor Rob Drake says complaints about abandoned carts have been a constant during his time leading the city. Uh, he's not the only politician to make such a complaint. From parks to in uh, Portland to canals and Klamath Mall, shopping carts always end up far from the supermarket. Well, I have to tell you that, um, you know, I live near that Safeway on 39th and Powell, and I, it, it is sort of admirable in a way because the homeless people, and, and how sad is this, a comment on my neighborhood, that I, I know just instinctively the sound of a, of a homeless person rattling a cart down the street. Mm -hmm. I mean, my wife and I are going I... through your recycling bins. Exactly. Yeah, so it, that's another one. I totally know that mm -hmm. sound. I hear the front. I go, oh, yeah, homeless guy. And we hear the and we're like, oh, there's a guy pushing a cart. And at Safeway now, they actually have a couple of those shopping carts that deactivate when you get to the edge of the parking lot. Once you get to the edge of the parking lot, the carts just stop working. But that actually did not stop a woman. She was just full on like dragging it behind her like an Iditarod sled. Uh, just, I mean, it, she was having to really work at it, but she wasn't going to let the locking device keep her from taking the cart. So that's a, that's American ingenuity there. An estimated 3,600 carts are lost each week from grocery stores lost. in Portland and Salem. Uh -huh. These carts cost a store between $100 and $300. Imagine that. My friend lives near Woodstock, and uh, one of the Safeways there, someone stole every single shopping cart. Fantastic. It was kind of funny because people were carrying around all these hand baskets trying to juggle everything, and there was not one shopping cart there. Maybe they needed the whole collection, like to fulfill a set or something. Hmm. Oh, I have something for you. Is it uh, horrible? No, but it's funny, and it's zany. Okay. Okay. Now, is this the DJ thing? They're d zany G DJs. Okay. You know what their names are? Catfish and Mudflap. No. Okay. 
Lewis and Clark. Really? Uh-huh. Listen. Are they? Okay. Let's make this work. Is it up? It is. It's just not functioning. We might have to come back and do this. Nope, it's not working. Well, well let me just, let me just as a side note here, um, because I just said catfish and mud flap, I now have to say this. Um, I don't even know which end of the story to tell first. This is like two rivers that merge into one uh, larger river. I don't know which end of this to do first. Um, I will... Here it is. Oh, here we go. Good morning, is DJs from beyond the grave? A ground. Matt Linda, who slaves over a hot stove, while breadwinner Dave slaves over a hot microphone. <laughs> but bachelor Larry Clark is just a slave to love. Tuesday nights this fall, greet the new season with Good Morning World. Joining the CBS color lineup of Doc Terry, Red Skelton, Good Morning World, and the CBS NewsHour. Okay, so that was a promo for a sitcom about wacky DJs. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. Get in the winner's circle with Good Morning World. All right. Tuesday night. And the funny thing is at the end, they say with Red Skelton, and he looked, that wasn't him in blackface, was it? Oh, it might have been. It looked a little bit at the end it like really Red Skelton did. was in blackface. Let me look here. Joining the CBS color lineup of Doc Terry, Red Skelton. Oh, he is. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Not like you pulled away from the screen to oh, God. Uh, yeah. Well, it's on my blog if you want to look at it. If you want to see Red, Red Skelton in blackface. Uh, no, th- th- that is that sitcom. So that predates WKRP. Yeah, this is 1967. Yeah. Jesus. Goldie Hawn was on that show. Really? Yeah. That one guy kind of looks like Paul Lind. I don't know who those actors even were. Oh, you know what? I found a Paul Lynn promo on here, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Is it saucy? Let me find it again. All right. Well, it, I'll do it when we get Okay, back. well, all right. I bleep that, and you will see why. And I, I know it infuriates people who listen to the podcast now that you're no longer able to hear the bleeped things, but... <sighs> okay, so, talking about DJs. So, I, I, um, we have a friend, Seamus, uh, and he listens online uh, in Colorado, and he emailed me the other day, and he's like, hey, by the way, here's another reason why I listen to your program and other online shows uh, instead of instead of actual, like, local radio. He said, do you realize the biggest, most famous DJs in, in my area are Catfish and Mudflap? Two guys named Catfish and Mudflap. I did know that, as a matter of fact. I did know that in his neck of the woods, Catfish and Mudflap... Oh, are like the biggest thing going on the radio. And I swear to God, I'm not making that up. Cat, the Catfish and Mudflap show. They're a morning country DJ show. Um, here is how I know this. I know this because um, I have a friend who works at, and I will not identify this person, but I have a friend who works at that radio station. Um, and this person is incredibly smart, incredibly funny, very, I mean, way too smart to be working in radio. Uh, really, like, ought to be working at NPR or someplace. I mean, really, like, ought to be doing something that actually, like, you know, really, really ought to be doing something that, that takes cognitive function. And that's how sad radio is, that one of the smartest people I have ever worked with is uh, 
is now there in the building with catfish and mud flap. I mean, that's you, you play your cards incorrectly in radio, or even if you play them right sometimes, that's what happens. Smart people end up there with catfish and mud flap. That's all I'm going to say. Catfish and mud flap? Catfish and mud flap. But anyway, but it's by sheer coincidence. He's like, hey, have you seen this? Look at this catfish and mud flap. Ha, ha, ha. They're the suck, you know, or whatever. And I look, and I'm looking at the radio station website with catfish and mud flap, and there's somebody I, there's somebody I know who really deserves Do better. Do we know them? No. 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 They got a Paul cut here. Really? Yeah. He's uh, selling cemetery plots. Now, how many in your family, Mr. Campbell? Well, just my wife and myself. Oh. Well, that's all right. Chance of any little additions, maybe? Well, there might be another man along later. I, I beg your pardon? Uh, Mr. Akins, let me ask you a question. Assuming the husband goes first... By the way, he's selling the cemetery on, plot to Rock Hudson. Uh-huh. Then really? assuming that yes. the wife goes next and she's buried alongside her first husband. Uh-huh. Well, when the second husband goes, is he buried alongside the other two? I mean, are they all put in there together? Yes. That happens. Well, make it for three. I might as well go all the way. All righty. Reservations for three. Boy, you know, and those those sound so much different when you realize it's Rock Hudson talking to Paul Lind. Make it for three. I might as well go all the way. Just let that speak for itself. Uh, we'll do these calls, then we'll break, and we'll come back. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? What's up? Paul? Hey, I just want to state that I was out at uh, Troutdale Walmart a while back and overheard two of the CSMs discussing how the local trailer park just called and had, like, 50 of their shopping carts thrown out. Wait, two of the, park. Two, two of the local what? Trailer park. Which is what? You uh, know. CSM, when you said CSM, though. CSM, the customer service managers, oh, like the front-end managers. So, they were, so all of their uh, shopping carts have been relocated to a nearby RV residence? Yes. That is so fantastic. They were, so they were having to dispatch out, like, their little lot boys to go out and collect the shopping carts. Well, that's good. At least you know where to find them then, you know? Yeah, I guess the, the actual park's manager called up and told them that they were there. How sad. And, I mean, if you live in a trailer park, why do you need the shopping cart? The shopping cart, I thought, was people who did not have homes. If, yeah, the, if you live in a trailer, if like if you live in a trailer, is the shopping cart like the guest cottage? Is that what I that is? It have to be. It's like the guest, the guest house out back. Yeah, uh, it's a blanket in it and a little bit of cardboard box. I'm glad you could right. come stay with Lucinda and I. We fixed up the back of uh, the guest house real nice. We uh, lined it with a uh, we lined it with a U-Haul uh, furniture blanket. All right. Ooh. Thank you. No. All right. Uh, one more and then we'll uh, break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how you guys doing today? What's up? Hey, when I lived in Nevada, there was a little town north of uh, Las Vegas called Fallon, and there was a... <laughs> radio station in the morning and the guy's radio names were Captain Strong and the Doodad Twins. And yeah, it was a really wacky morning show. It uh, was it, crazy fun. Yeah, there's just um, <laughs> it's just the idea that, that like you, you work your whole career, you get multiple degrees, you study, you're smart, you're talented, you're ambitious. And then yeah, you're just, just there laughing at a guy named Mudflap. I mean it's just not right. Yeah, it's so. crazy stuff. Anyways, talk to you later. Thank you. All right. When we get back Jim has a question about blackface. That won't be awkward. Uh, all right. Red Skelton's dead, isn't he? Yes. I'm thinking of Red Buttons. Is he dead, too? He's dead, too. He, he died last year. Oh, there you go. They're all dead. So much blood! Uh, all right, back after this. It's the Rick Emerson Show. I'm a picture with a beauty. 
877-337-2970. Okay, so we have a correction. Apparently, that is not Red Skelton in blackface. Apparently, uh, that is a character of his called the Sad Clown. No. That he did at Christmas time. So that's not a Sad Clown in blackface. No. Now I'm just picturing now I'm just picturing a clown in blackface, and I don't even really know what that would look like. My brain can't quite come up with the image. No, Red Skelton would never do anything just like as well. No, that was a family off color. Was that was that intentional? You just did there? No. Okay. Uh, apparently, yeah. So that was not blackface. Because that, that was weirding me out actually. Because that was one of the '60s, right? Seems yeah. like even in the 60s we were past that as a country, one would think. And it was a CBS program as well. CBS would never traffic in... Uh, CBS would never traffic, of course, in any sort of blue material. Uh, or white or black material, depending on how one views it. Uh, and finally, he said... So it's, yeah, that was his character, the sad clown. And then uh, P.S., he says, Paul Lind will always be my secret square. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Yeah, I know where that uh, Paul Lind uh, thing comes from. I hate to admit it, but I know what movie that's from. This is Paul Lind trying to sell uh, a cemetery Ro- plot to Rock Hudson. Yeah, it's from a movie called Move Over, Darling, where with the Doris Day and Rock Hudson, and Rock Hudson has been misdiagnosed. They think he's going to die, and he's trying to whimsically uh, set up his afterlife. So it's from a movie called Move Over, Darling. That's got to be a creepy film to watch. Now, when's the last time you saw it? Well, it was actually on uh, Turner Classic Movies, uh, I mean, American Movie Classics, about a week ago. Is it a good film? Oh, it's funny. Oh, yeah, it's great. Is it is it creepy to watch Rock Hudson making funeral arrangements? Well, in a whimsical way, no. <laughs> no, okay. okay. And then sure. he's trying to uh, find a new uh, husband for Doris Day, so he, uh, Rod Taylor is the prospective husband. Rod and, Taylor uh, from, uh, Rod Taylor from, is that the guy from The Birds? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now he's he's another one of those weird lantern jawed Ben Affleck looking guys that that they seem to just churn out in the fifties. Yeah, and and I hate to admit that I know all this, but I do. I yeah. don't know why. Dude, have you heard the stuff that we've admitted on this program? I uh, sound... oh no, I, I I I listen and talk to you all the time. But, I went uh, on the, I went on about the sound of music for like an hour the other day. So oh I know it's I just scary. All right, thank you, my friend. There you go. All right, uh, one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. Uh-huh. I just wanted to make sure I heard this right. You, you guys played that clip there about the uh, Red Skelton in blackface. But, that but was he, 1967. But we, said, right? but we later, but we then discovered that it was not because it's just a little fraction of a clip at the end where they say the CBS cavalcade of stars. It was just a still picture. It was a still picture, and it was like him. What was it? It was him, the evening news, and like some other crap I'd never heard. Of. Right. A doctari, but it was not blackface. It was him uh, as a sort of a like a hobo clown. Okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense. All I could think about is that's the same year Sidney Poitier was coming to dinner. Yes, yeah. well. And yeah. I'd hate to think that CBS was showing that no. as well as. That just didn't sound no, right. No, CBS, CBS was, would never do that. CBS was not trafficking not. in inflammatory racial material. Uh, not in the 60s, no. No, I was going to say, that waited until later. All right, <laughs> thank you. Bye right now. I'm sorry. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Well, uh, regulators investigating the death of a worker hit by a forklift in an Oregon sawmill. Oh, forklift inside the sawmill. I don't know why that makes it worse. It's like you didn't get hit by the saw, mm-hmm. but I he never saw it coming. No, uh, he was uh, struck by the forklift while walking on a crosswalk. Investigators have spoken to company officials and fellow co-workers. The investigation will conclude next week, and more information will be available, so don't ask until then. What, more, what, what other information could you find? He was hit by a forklift. Is yeah. he dead? Uh, yes. The end. My dad got hit by a forklift once. That was no good. 
I drove um, a forklift in, into a uh, a pole once. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like a power pole? No, uh, a pole holding up a ceiling in a warehouse. Oh, like a uh, like a like a big uh, like a beam, beam. Yeah. like a supporting beam. How did it, forklifts are not easy to drive? Uh, I know this because when I was this, by the way, will make you feel less sympathy for my dad uh, because uh, he my dad worked in a carpet warehouse for a while. Uh-huh. And so my dad would get blitzed and let me drive the forklift when I was like five. <laughs> so he'd be all drunk. He'd be all drunk on Rhinelander beer. And if he says, do you want to drive that forklift? You know, I probably asked him. And he was sure. And just give me the keys. I mean, he would just let me. Wh- it's amazing I didn't kill people or myself with that thing. Please now to tell your story of the forklift, Tim. Well, my dad, who who owned this uh, steel distribution company, would let us visit the folks in the warehouse uh-huh. once a year on the holidays so we could have some fun there. And <laughs> wait, hold on. So would, let me understand this. So your dad would take you to meet the commoners on Christmas Pretty to meet much, the little yeah. people. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. His employees. Uh huh. In the warehouse, so we could have uh, fun running around the warehouse and do exactly what we wanted to do. So my dad uh, thought it would be a manly thing for me to do, and hop aboard the forklift and drive it around the warehouse. <laughs> As a small child, I, I was probably let's see, ten or eleven. I I do remember that now. Was the forklift the same then? Do you suppose it was like two steel pedals on the floor? Yes. The square. It was sort of like a, you know, it was like a car. The brake and then the the, the gas. Yeah, I remember it was yellow and it was all scraped up. Yeah. I must have been older than five then, because it seemed, or maybe I wasn't, because I do seem to remember being able to the steering wheel and touch the feet at the same time, touch the ground. So, no, no, this is a big one. This moved huge steel beams like they're using construction. Oh, like a full-on huge one. So yeah. So how uh, so how did the accident come to take place? Well, the accident came to take place when I didn't know how fast it went when I stepped on it. <laughs> just, and I didn't have enough time to steal around it and clonk. When you're a kid, you just floor it. Mm-hmm. Just right into the, That's fantastic. You know, I was thinking it's like a dodging car. Of course. It was not. Exactly. No, it's, yeah, exactly. It's like a bumper derby thing. So it was a very short visit to the folks in the warehouse. Uh, <laughs> he was, you, were, you were not invited back for subsequent holidays. I think that was the last time we went to the warehouse. Yeah. yeah. All right. Excellent. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. It's uh, time for a religious nutcase watch. Here's your religious nutcase watch uh, for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. since it comes from Birmingham, Alabama. An anti-Semitic church formed by white supremacists has abandoned its neo-Nazi imagery, such as swastikas, to make it more palatable. Uh, the group banned the use of the Nazi uniforms, red armbands, and similar regalia because, uh, well, it, it turned people off. off. It was off-putting. <laughs> Some people were not open to the church's teachings. Uh, we don't like the swastikas. We don't like the negativity, said one of the churchgoers. The majority of the people see all this as pure evil. Uh, this fellow named Williams was formerly involved with Aryan Nations. What's his uh, What's his full name? Let's see. Here's uh, I'm looking here. See if I can find his name. Richard. Uh, Richard Williams. I believe it's Richard Williams. Why yeah. does that name? Oh no, jo- Jonathan Williams. Oh, then I guess not. I was going to say because there's that same. But he he was involved with the uh, with the Richard Butler group. Yeah, there's like so there's that same group. There's really like five guys that it, you know what it. Well, after Butler died, his his followers relocated. 
to Alabama. Wouldn't you know it? It's, a, well, it's amazing that they, that they weren't there to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of stunning that they were up here, like, ever. I hate to make this comparison, but it's the only one that comes to mind. Aryan Nations folks are a lot like NASCAR in that it's just the same five guys all the time. Like every year in NASCAR, you just switch the same five last names. It's just, it's just swapping places. So it is with like the Aryan Nations guys. It's always like a Pierce, a Butler, a Williams, you know, whatever, or a Lane. And those are the, you know, the five, every, every state you go to, if there's some uh, idiotic nitwit Nazi parade, it's always one of those guys and his three mentally deficient followers. So, so I guess they, they came down there in the year 2000 after they lost their $6.3 million compound. So let me understand this. So they're getting rid of the Nazi regalia because folks might be turned off by that. But they are clinging steadfastly to the anti-Semitism part. Mm -hmm. They're going to still be big believers in that. Uh, so he says, uh, well, he doesn't like the Nazi stuff, but he is still anti-Semitic. Well, Okay. We have uh, any follow-up? Is that is that? that uh, that's right? about, there, about there. it. I do have a second story. Oh, of. I'm sorry. But it's not as bad, actually. Well, it is bad. Uh, a, Jehovah, a Jehovah Witness teen dies after a judge opposes his right to refuse a blood transplant. Uh, Daniel Lindbergh, who's only 14, a Mount Vernon, Washington, died last night in the Seattle hospital. Earlier in the day, a Skagit County judge refused pleas from the state to force Dennis to have a blood transfusion to treat his leukemia, which could have saved his life. Now, I thought the deal was that if you were a minor, the state stepped in if you were some Jehovah's Witness who said, I don't want blood. I they thought did. that, and the judge upheld that. But no, but, but, but I mean, I, but I thought that the precedent was, well, clearly not. So but I, the court classified him as a mature adult enough to make his own medical decisions. And they knew that death was the outcome. Really, if by definition you are refusing blood be put into your failing body because you think an invisible man wants you to do it, but you are not mentally competent to, like, you know, own a dog, it, it, much less... It, it, would you like to be safe? No. No, there's an invisible man ordering me to keep the nasty blood away. Jesus. I mean... So he was 14 years old. God damn. Really? Yeah. All right, fine. Fine, fine, whatever. All right, let's end that. It really should be a Darwin watch. Because they have those stories about once every two years, where there'll be uh, someone, you know, and, and again, I, whatever. I mean, if you're an adult and you decide that that's your deal, you know, Jesus hates blood. He said to keep it away from me. I suppose that's one thing. But if you're some 14-year-old, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to drive. You're not allowed to fish. You're not allowed to hunt. You're not allowed to do anything. It, it doesn't seem like you ought to be able to refuse leukemia care. And I think that most of the time the state steps in and just says, like, no, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to live. You're just going to have to live for now. So, really, honestly, that happened here in the Northwest. Yes. Well, it's all about states' rights, Tim. All right. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's uh, your religious nutcase watch on uh, KCB Portland. An 18-year-old Phoenix man facing charges for breaking into a home and taking lewd pictures of himself. Ryan Hoplin allegedly broke into a home and used the resident's cell phone to take sexually explicit photos of himself. He's also accused of using a computer in the house to access adult websites. They say he confessed to the crimes after being arrested and called himself a pervert. Well, at least he, like, owns it. 
You know what I mean? He's sort of got he's got ownership of his own sexual identity. What are you? I am a pervert. Uh, and did he take photographs on a digital camera? Yes. Uh, well, that's less interesting. Just a digital cell phone, I guess. Uh, that's, that's not that's not as interesting. Well, maybe next time. Unless he made it the screensaver or something. Um, wait, I've got a call from someone's penis. Uh, it's 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 not as interesting as it used to be. Where you know, you guy with like I think Polaroids are really the big boon to the perv community because they can just photograph your junk and just tape it up all over the house. Yeah. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. How you doing? Uh, I'm fine. Got a forklift store. Didn't know forklift stores. Fantastic. Dallas, Texas, 15 year old. Uh, four of my buddies and I uh, broke into this huge distribution center. It was a grocery, just like an Albertsons or something. I can't remember. He says probably. And we decided to play bumper cars. The golden years. With the uh, forklifts in the warehouse. Of course. Why not? And one of us, apparently we found this out later, punctured a propane tank because about an hour later, the entire building blew up. <laughs> I'm s Whoa, I shouldn't laugh We read about it in the paper the next day. Wait, how long ago was this? I was 15. But how long ago was this? Oh, that's been... Over 20 years. Well, that's a statute of limitations. Yeah. It's lapsed, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, it was in Dallas. Nobody knows who I am, so. Man, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun playing bumper cars with, with forklifts. What you do is you try to, you'd actually try to. Let's tell everybody to how they can blow your, the warehouse. Tail your friend with the tying. That was the goal. And one of us punctured a, ran into a propane you, tank. You blew up an entire warehouse. Destroyed the entire thing. Burned down. They just said in the paper it was a propane leak. I mean. They didn't know. They didn't know it was us. How does let me here's a dumb question. How does it feel to know you blew up an entire warehouse? Nobody was killed. It feels great. <laughs> of course if somebody was hurt, probably feel no harm, no bad. foul. Uh, you, you feel differently if you own that warehouse. Was there, I was just going to say, Tim, who was a uh, property I owner slash slumlord. Uh, yeah, but you're, do you know the dollar value? I'm not passing judgment. Doesn't matter to me. Not my warehouse. Do you know the dollar value attached to the warehouse you blew up? Millions, probably. I mean, it was chuckle. <laughs> the best part is chuckle, <laughs> and then Tim's, gives the, crap. the best thing is, like, Tim's reaction to your chuckle as you go, millions. <laughs> we blew it all up. So. Hey, Tim drove around like a bat out of hell on his. He could have very easily done the same thing when his old man decided to let him play bumper cars and his brothers. Yeah, Tim. I didn't know the propane tank. <laughs> so, so there you go, Tim. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. He showed you. <laughs> Maybe next time I'll blow up the old man's warehouse. <laughs> Millions! <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, oh. in case maybe. Oh, hey, um, I was just calling. You were talking about the 14-year-old who refused blood transplants. Blood my, transfusion in Seattle, uh, yeah. Uh, my wife was actually raised Jehovah's Witness, mm -hmm. and talking to her about it, there's some pretty messed up things. In fact... Um, no, they can't have Christmas. No, it's a, I remember I told this story about trying to sell Christmas cards as a child to my Jehovah's next door neighbors. It was so awkward as they tried to explain it to me. What use is that if you can't have Christmas? I don't know, really. Well, the really no Christmas. It's, you know, it's, what? The really messed up thing about it is the reason he refused blood transplants or the blood transfusion is because they believe it's a sin. So technically, if you get a blood transfusion, you're going to go to hell. Actually, no, they don't even believe in hell. You're just... You won't be resurrected in the paradise after Jesus comes back. It's well, very. to live in the first place? What? Yeah, I mean, really, I, let's just cash it all in now. Why not just let's all go drive off a cliff together? I, it... I, you know, honestly, hearing some of the stories about the way she was raised, I would kind of agree with you. But well, let me just let, I will I will say at the outset that it's not like Jehovah's Witnesses have cornered the market on crazy. Uh, you know, as a failed Catholic, I, I'm not only calling myself a lapsed Catholic, just as a former Catholic myself. 
uh, and and married to uh, a woman who grew up Mormon. Um, I, and, you know, and of course we know people from all walks of life and all creeds and colors. Uh, it, they're all crazy in their own way. But, yeah, this particular bent of craziness, I mean, of just the, look, we, we could save your life. And then because, like, the great gazoo it doesn't want you to do it, therefore you just sort of, you know, it's just, the whole thing is just a little nutty, especially well, the, when you're 14. Well, the really bizarre thing is... They can't, okay, they, I don't know how much you know about Jehovah's Witnesses, but every six months, this council opens Philadelphia revises the Bible because they're trying to make it even truer to its roots or something. So it's like the Bible special special edition with, like, more Jabba the Hutt or something? Right, and right. it happens every six months, so every six months you have to buy a new Bible. And <laughs> I'm sorry, this old Bible doesn't work anymore. You try to put it in, it's like Region 2 encoded. It won't. I'm sorry, cannot read Bible. Must up. Click here to upgrade. Your 14-day no, trial has format. expired. Please enter registration key. All right. Well, well speaking of, well, here's here's it just it just so nobody thinks we're just piling on Jehovah's Witnesses. You know who else does something similar to that? Is Methodists. Uh, Methodists, who I kind of love because they're just sort of like laissez-faire. Methodists just kind of don't give a rip about anything. Um, they Methodists they get together every now and again, and the heads of the faith get together, and they literally they vote on what the stance of God is on particular issues. Um, and I and I hope I'm probably mangling the story, but I had a um, a Methodist minister who was a guest on my show this many 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 years ago, and uh, it, she told me how like at like Methodist Con you know 98 or whatever it was, uh, the big issue was whether to ordain gay men and women as ministers. And I think they all got together in a room and they were like, show of hands on the uh, on the view of the Lord, all in favor. And like 80 percent of the people were for it. So like as of that day, God was fine with it. It was kind of a weird. It was just so weird. Like they were voting on what God felt about stuff. So, oh, are Methodists the ones who believe everything's predestined, so it doesn't really matter anyway? It's just going to happen. Uh, well, maybe. Okay. Well, regardless, no. They line from the Bible, though, that the 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 Jehovah's Witnesses cling to. I'm talking about it all day. I, I after this, I'm done. So, okay. yeah, but the line is, "Thou shalt not ingest blood, or the the blood of the lamb, or something." So, really. Just drinking blood is illegal or against God's law. <laughs> and icky. People are going to think we're broken up for religious time now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Praise <right>. 970 AM. <laughs> uh, the word right. of the promised land is AM 970. Jesus. KCMD yeah. Portland. Those would be good new promos. Uh, Let's hope they never happen. There was a huge fight about that, I think, when I lived in Utah. I think, of all places, even though these are heavily uh, LDS status, I think there was one of those Jehovah's Witnesses fights there where it's like oh. the kid had something, and the state wanted to the state wanted to, to come in and like give him give him blood or medical care or whatever, and like the mom and dad didn't want to, and I think the state finally told the mom and dad to go pound sand uh, and to come back, you know, and, and you know they said if the kids come back, kid comes back when his brain is fully developed and he doesn't want to do it, that's fine, but when he's like thirteen. Uh, seriously, when you're 14, you're 14, you really ought not ever be allowed out of the house anyway. I mean, really, honestly. It's just, letting 14-year-olds, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not like some, you know these kids today with their free thinking or whatever, but it's like when you're 14, you are just so unbelievably, not even dumb, but just your brain is just so unformed that you're just crazy about half the time. And really letting a 14-year-old make any kind of medical decision, especially one based on something so intangible, is really just like giving them whiskey and car keys. I just don't see the logic. All right, we're done. We're moving on. Here's Tim Riley. Utah is the most depressed state in America, according to the Mental Health America Association. The general public of Utah, you know, they may have insurance or they may not have insurance. and They, they were self-reported, so 
you know, it's kind of like, are you depressed? They're not clinical diagnosis. So whether they're actual depressed, you know, meet the criteria for depression is a whole different thing. Oh, it does. Trust me, it does. It's funny, when you tease this at the top of the show and you say, what state is the most depressing? I immediately thought Utah. Because mm -hmm. it just sucks. Because it's the worst. It's the worst place ever. Uh, by the way, I will be going there in a couple weeks. So lucky me. That's part mm -hmm. of my ongoing penance to my wife for forgetting her birthday. Uh, she's going to visit. Well, here's what. As of a week ago, she was going to visit her parents. Now we are going to visit her parents. All of us. Yes, all of us. We sh <laughs> Let's do the show That's from so Orem. <laughs> really? Let me. I actually would love to see um, that area. I would too. No. 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 Shaking my head. No. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't less than... When everybody has a toothy smile. And when you, everybody is a Von Trapp. When you say you'd love to see that area, I mean, what are you talking about? Like Utah in general. Are you talking about the big uh, rock arches? I'd love to see and the, the temple and like all the outlying places that still have like all the polygamous families. Well, okay. Then, see a real-life Donnie Marie show going on. Well, then, okay. Well, then, to, to be fair then, because I was about to say... Uh, we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins here in a moment. I was about to say that there are a couple different Utahs. And I now sound like I'm working for the Utah Travel Board. Uh, but there's a couple different uh, Utahs. And one of them is... The one that does ske sketch comedy and happy songs? <laughs> no, that one's pretty great, too. Okay. Well, you know, last Christmas, I went to see this thing called Christmas Around the World at uh, at BYU. And uh, i got to tell you, this this may sound dumb. This sounds like a retarded thing to say. But this just, just sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth. But it's... Uh, goddamn Mormons know how to put on a show. They really do. And whiten their teeth. No, they, they, uh, they are all about... I'd say in terms of religions, Mormons have the highest production value of any faith currently operating right now. I mean, they... Scientologists are kind of out there. But Mormons, man, they go all out. They do not screw around uh, when it comes to putting on a play, a musical. I saw this, again, this huge thing at BYU where it was like this choreography of different styles of dance from all around the world as part of this big Christmas pageant. And it, it, it's just because... The, the, you know, it's such an insular community that they have so long, for so long they created all their own entertainment. Um, and so not unlike the Jewish faith, where so much of their entertainment was made by their community for their own community, that it's just like off the charts good. But um, people always say, well, Utah's really beautiful. When they say Utah's really beautiful, they mean southern Utah, which is like Moab and places like that, where there's those amazing oh, rock Zion. structures. Exactly. So they say, don't take the rocks, but I got out and took one anyway. Did you? Well, I you know, have it. Well, you know, and he, if you've never seen... Speaking of which, I brought the atomic marble today. I'll get that later. Ooh. Um, no, 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 I don't no. really want that thing near me. Southern Utah, you know what Southern Utah looks like? No joke, no exaggeration. Southern Utah looks like the landscape in the Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. Yeah, it's beautiful. If you watch the Roadrunner cartoons, that was based on the natural geography of Southern Utah. So when you see in the Roadrunner cartoons where there's like the huge rock, like the narrow, tall rock tower with the big boulder on top, or the big, yeah, the thin but tall rock arch. All that stuff is drawn directly from the Utah landscape. So that's what Southern Utah looks like. Uh, the regular Utah, which is all just Mormons and sadness, uh, that is kind of fascinating in a really creepy kind of way. Like, you ought to go there once just to see the temple and to get a vibe for, like, how a real just house of house of acorns really operates. Yeah, I drove through Salt Lake um, with my family when I was really young and floated in the Salt Lake. And got, a, like, the worst ear infection. Don't ever. Ever. No, no you're not even supposed to touch your skin. I know. Don't ever let's it was the most don't get out of the about, car. It was like I was like eight or nine. I don't even remember. I fell asleep I at the wheel there and wrecked my car in, in the helpful Mormons. The Mormons put, helped you, didn't they? With bungee cords and they made it to LA. I have to tell you, if you ever really need help with something, if you need help, and if no one else can help you, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire some Mormons. Uh, let's welcome to, on this conversation. Let's bring her on with us now. 
CNN radio correspondent and woman about town, Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? Where are you at right now, sister? Good. I'm, I, am at, I am in my kitchen uh, back home in Alexandria, Virginia. Fantastic. We were just talking about Mormons. Have ye anything to contribute? My mom, actually, we had Mormons live next door, and uh, she almost converted. Your very, mother almost... Your, yes. your mother almost became LDS. She almost became LDS. And, you know, when they uh, identify that, that you may consider it, <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is, a, it is a full, hardcore press from all sides. All of a sudden, I, I didn't even realize this, but all of a sudden it became clear there were five Mormon families living around us. And all of a sudden we were going to family night at one house on Monday and another on Wednesday. And then my mom starts buying mason jars. Yeah. It all got very strange. I need a year's supply of canned goods. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, but they're great. I mean, they were all really nice families. And they, they, actually, their kids made out in the deal, too, because they could come over and watch TV at our house, which they couldn't do at their houses. I will say this. And, you know, and it's so hard to say things like this without sounding like either, A, you are condescending, or, B, like some of, right. my, some of my best friends are Mormon. But I, I will say uh, that for all of the... Uh, for all of the differences and disagreements I have with many things about most religions, uh, and in this case, the Mormon faith, I will tell you this, really honestly, if you were down, busted out to your, and Tim can attest to this, if you were just busted down to your last nickel, if you just had, if you were just uh, destitute, your your car's broken down, you're sick, you have no food, you're whatever, and if you can, if you can locate some Mormons, they will take care of you. It's true. It's, it's just really part true. of the deal. Yeah, they will. Yeah. I mean, and I know that there are other faiths that will, that, you know, about which that's true. But in this case, I, I will say because it's like part of their deal, um, whether you know it or not. And this is the last thing I'll say. We got to move on. Uh, we can tie it into Mitt Romney, I guess. Uh, whether you know it or not, every single person listening to me now, whether you are aware of it or not, you live inside. Uh, what is called, well, there's a stake and a ward, which is like a parish and a diocese for the Catholics. It's a small area and a large area. But you live inside uh, a, a ward, and they are tasked with taking care of everybody who lives in their geographic area. And, uh, you know, so whatever. So, I mean, if you ever, you know, if you ever need to go, you ever need some, like, Ovaltine or something, you know, there's somebody in your neighborhood who can help you out with that. Uh, Is that how that works? All right. Yeah. So well, we were just talking about Utah because it's ranked as the most depressed uh, and depressing state in the nation, apparently, according to some survey, which I can wow. attest to, by the way, because no one there is happy. Uh, like, you, you know, you talk to people in Seattle or New York or L.A. or Portland about, hey, do you enjoy living here? They're like, yeah, I love living in Portland. And you ask people in Utah, they're like, hey, do you like it here? And they kind of shrug and it's sort of like, well, <laughs> what can you do? Is, it, is this recent? I feel like they used to be happy in, in Utah. Well, like I, before I was born. I maybe, will, I don't know. I will tell you this, uh, that uh, Utah, and this is, this is a true fact, this is real, Utah leads the nation in consumption of Jell-O, vanilla ice cream, and Prozac. And that is... Uh, that oh. is Wow. That is uh, really? what the New York Times would call a checkable fact. So the people you you meet in Utah who are happy, they're all happy in this kind of weird blonde Stepford kind of way. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I've never been to Utah. I can't say, but I, you know, I'm just, I'm surprised to hear this. It's a, it's a, it really is an amazing place. Southern Utah is beautiful, and then of course the Salt Lake area. You know, the, the, the sort of what everybody thinks of when they think of Utah is. It is just a world unto itself. Uh, you really ought to go there once, tour Temple Square, buy the ticket, take the ride, do the whole thing uh, of Temple Square and of and of Utah, just because there is. And I'm not like I've been all around the country, but I've been to a lot of different cities, and I have never been to any place that felt like Utah. There is a distinct vibe in that place because it really is the closest thing in America to to the Vatican. Um, it's like Vatican Maybe, City. That's true. Yeah. That's All right. True. Uh, well, blah, 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 Mormon, da, 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 Mitt Romney, da, 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 GOP. Boom. So, Boom. 
boy, last night, I got to tell you, at one point, I, Giuliani and Romney were, were actually grinding so hard against each other, uh, you know, in, in terms of they're just, I expected actual spark, like literal actual sparks to erupt in the air the way they were going after each other last night. Yeah, it was incredible. They were and they were ready. They, you know, they were they were like the horses at the starting gate right from the get go. Yeah, uh, and and Giuliani had uh, that line, which he must have just been honing forever about. He said, "Well, you've got an illegal immigrant problem. None of us have. You hired them, and because I guess what Mitt <laughs> Romney had illegal immigrants working at his mansion or something." That's right. When he was governor of Massachusetts, I mean, the, the deal is they were it was through a contracting uh, company, but 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 yes. Uh, and and so he didn't know about it until uh, until he ran for president uh, is, is what he says. So who in in the general uh, objective assessment, uh, winners and losers last night. Uh, winners and losers. I think Romney and Giuliani. I, I think I think both of them. They just bruised each other up and and they kind of. I th- I think neither one of them came out you know ahead from it. And I think but I think Romney probably lost more points than Giuliani, and not because of that fight, but I think. Because of his, his other answers, just seemed he, he had trouble with the torture question. I think standing next to John McCain and saying you're not going to comment on waterboarding, I you know you got you got to think a little bit more coming into a debate like that. Uh, and and I think John McCain was was livid and really really uh, just pounded away at him. And I, I think the crowd there really felt that. Also, I think I think Romney just came off as a a, a little bit more like a a kid trying to. Say hey, I'm really great as well. You know, for instance, on the uh, the issue of would you sign this pledge saying you won't raise taxes, you get yes, yes. You get to Romney and he said yes, and I was the first one to sign it. Right. You know, and the minute he said that, there actually was a groan in the auditorium, like they were kind of like, oh, everyone's rolling their eyes. Geez, it's such a political thing to say. And and I think it was just one one way that he, he for some reason he ha- came off that way last night. I talked to three uh, voters who went in leaning toward Romney and went out looking for somebody else. There is, I, uh, there is this sort of gut sense, and I know a lot of people have said the same thing, this gut sense when I watch Mitt Romney that, as somebody put it, and I'm paraphrasing, a friend of mine put it, he said that he does probably have personal morals, beliefs, uh, uh, he has a personal ideology, uh, a, a compass of some kind, but that none of that really seems to to matter when he's answering questions. You do get the sense that it is all about what can I say that will close this deal? What can I say? What can I do to put you in this car today? And uh, you know, like when they asked it, they 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 you know they tried to nail him down on the Roe v. Wade thing because I, he was you know and, right. and and he you know he's like well I that I was I was I was pro-choice but now I'm now I'm pro-life. What do you want? What do you want? The, you want pro-choice? You want pro-life? Do you want the undercarriage coating? I got that too. And he, it's just that you sense him morphing even as you look at him. Uh, well, Dave in the military, he had a tough time with that question, too. And again, the audience, you could hear the audience rumbling when he said, well, I don't think now is the time. I don't think we're not, not now. You know, so he really wasn't backing away from his statement, nor was he saying he was for or against Dave in the military. So it was a lot of equivocation. Uh, I think and I, I was surprised he's strong on so many things, but just last night, that's how he came off. Uh, before we uh, wrap it up here, and I do thank you for taking the time, by the way, to call us from the Desjardins kitchen. Uh, <laughs> which, yes, it's so difficult. The Desjardins kitchen does sound like a place that would be in that Pixar film, like Remy the Rat would be there, like pouring Cabernet. <laughs> um, two things. A, what do you make of this business of, 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 in some of these polls, Mike Huckabee 
kind of out, out front. I mean, and then, you know, last night he's certainly under the radar, one might say, in, in some, you know, if you consider that, if you consider that Giuliani and Romney are the sort of uh, Obama and Clinton of the GOP, Huckabee is sort of the Biden. You know, he's kind of there in the background. What do you make of the polls that have put him ahead in a lot of places? It, they're legitimate, and it, well, especially in Iowa, and, and I think he has a real shot at winning Iowa. I think if you've got to pick a winner from last night, I think you do pick Mike Huckabee. You know, at first he, he, the first 20 minutes he didn't really own, but then he, he came back saying, I'm going to shut down the IRS. Now, you know, that's, a, that's, an, that's an easy one, but he, but he owned it, and the crowd loved it. He was the only one with really any good jokes, and the whole, you know, Jesus was too smart to run for uh, political office. That's getting play on every network around the country. Right. And, and, and also, the thing he did really well last night, when you start getting attention, like he's gotten attention and people start coming after you like they did last night, you know, you risk the, you risk being cast as one of the front runners like the rest of them. But he, he said, I'll take whatever vote I can get. You know, I need every, every vote out there I can get. You know, so he, he really did a good job of saying, hey, I'm still the underdog here. He's not though. He, he really, he really is a serious factor in Iowa. He's got a lot of work to do if he wants to really get the nomination, but he, he's going to make it tough, especially for Mitt Romney, I think, in Iowa. Speaking of scripted lines, though, Romney did have one great line toward the end of the night when they did the obligatory softball question at the end, uh, no pun intended, about uh, baseball. Uh, yeah. And Romney had that great line, which plays on the American dislike of New York, and he said, well, I'm like most Americans. We love our sports teams, and we hate the Yankees. And that really was great. It was a great line. Uh, that was his best moment of the night. That's right. As a Red Sox fan, I was glad to hear him say it, because, it, you know, I I thought that was a good question for Giuliani, and that, that sort of that bugged me. I, Red Sox thing with him. I know you don't want to be asked what I'm about to ask you. Oh, boy. Uh, and so if you uh, cannot answer or prefer not to, especially since you're not really on the clock today, you let me know, and no harm, no foul, no offense taken. Uh, there's this big story getting a lot of play sort of in the, uh, I don't know, in, in, the, in the, 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 the political wankery world today about, about one of the questioners last night uh, right. who was asking about gays in the military, and it turns out that the guy uh, is on some sort of a campaign committee for Hillary Clinton. And right. Anderson Cooper actually did a big mea culpa afterwards, saying we never would have taken his question if we'd known that he was, in effect, working for Hillary Clinton. Da 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 da. It seems to me like that's getting way too much play, and they're kind of making more of it, more out of it than it is. It doesn't seem like somebody ought to be disqualified from asking a question simply because they're, you know, working for somebody else or not, you know, not a not a fan of the guys on stage. So, I mean, I hate to ask you about that, but it is because it is sort no. of a story about about the about the media itself. That's what I'm here for. I love talking about that. And that's the great thing about uh, CNN radio, that uh, if the folks in TV know that we exist, they, they don't really listen to, to us. So I really can say whatever I want. And I probably Fantastic. wouldn't work here if I couldn't. Duly yeah. noted. I, I, I really think that, that it, I think it was an honest oversight. I think CNN did research to see uh, if Brigadier General Keith Kerr, I believe is his name, had ever donated money to a candidate, and he hasn't. But I, I, th I, think, it was a, I think it was a pretty big mistake. I think you, you – I think – I understand where you're coming from. What does it matter if they support a candidate? Well, if they do, at the very least, you've got to disclose that so you know where they're coming from. But I, but I, I, th I just think you shouldn't have that in debate. I think it is particularly bad uh, that it happened to be someone who was on a Hillary Clinton steering committee. So it raises the whole planted question issue even more. But, you know, he says, uh, former General Kerr, says that he actually severed ties with them and that he actually has not been at work with the Clinton campaign, that he's actually a log cabin or gay Republican, and that he only represented himself. 
and CNN has actually issued a formal apology. But, I mean, the problem here is this is conservatives who say, oh, CNN has an agenda. That's the you know, communist news network, like my truck driver brother, Brett, who actually does say that to me regularly. <laughs> you know, like he, you know, for these guys, that's what you point to and say, oh, it's true. So I, I, think, it, I think it's definitely uh, – it's, I think it's, it's only a major story for today, but I think – in that in that conservative world that 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 loves Fox News and really thinks CNN has a big liberal axe to grind, this is going to stick in their craw for a long, long time. They'll keep keep bringing it up, and I think it was for that reason a pretty big mistake one, by CNN because I know they try really hard to be balanced. And one more log on the fire, as it, as it were. Yes, uh, that's I exactly to, what it is. Actually, just to bring this around to the beginning, and then we'll let you go. I, in a couple weeks, I was saying that the, as part of my uh, ongoing penance for forgetting my wife's birthday. I am. Uh, I'll have the privilege of being in Orem, Utah, uh, for about four days in a few weeks to visit my in-laws. Orem, Utah, is um, uh, it, it is the single most conservative, uh, most Republican county in America, according to most censuses. Um, it is where BYU is located. Do they do a census of that. They do. Well, they do like national, you know, surveys of like how of voting records oh, right. and okay. how how elections go. And Orem is, you know, it's right next to BYU, and it's the single most Republican county in the country. And I, you, in that house, Fox News is just playing 24 hours a day. I mean, just so this is this is yet one more thing that I will get to hear about from my mother-in-law about the Clinton News Network. So, <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, it's it's some like Skinner. It's almost like a Skinner experiment. Uh, it's like the crack cocaine for conservatives. They just they have to keep pushing it more, 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 more great. Fox News. That's a great scientific reference, by the way. Well done. Every now and then. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day off to, uh, to talk to us. Guys. All right, Lisa. All right. We'll talk to you soon. There you go. Lisa Desjardins from her kitchen. Mm. Uh, let me quickly do these, then we'll break. We'll come back and talk to James uh, Robinson, who works here and who is a big WWE fan. He's going to uh, uh, talk to us a little bit and step in, uh, uh, well, or be with us What's here during the, the, interview? the Chris Jericho interview, which is like 15 minutes from now or so. Okay. we got to so, hurry. Let me then. do these, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, um, earlier you were talking about Mormon, uh, excuse me, Utah, and um, I think what you were trying to say is it's, it's, as, it's as happy as a state full of chock full of Mormons could be. Well, that's not. That wasn't really the way I was going to choose to frame Probably it. Probably not. I mean, really, look when the, when you know when most of the time you can only get three two beer for your alcoholic needs. How happy can the state really be? Do you know what I mean? No, I, I was I was raised. I'm gonna get loaded people. tonight. I have an axe to grind with those people. They I, they they had a those big people. part of my early life. Those people. Yes. That, Thanks a lot. All right. Bye now. Final call. Then we get a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. He said those people? That was uh, whatever that guy said, those people. Let's hey, try I'm to a, use that I'm phrase all the time. Yeah. I'm an expatriate of Sandy, Utah. Uh-huh. Oh, see? So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I uh, I love Snow Grove ice cream. Yes. And I love uh, Crown Burgers. Crown Burger. The, the Crown Burger, which, and every time I go to Utah, that's the one thing I bring back with me. It weighs about 50 pounds. Hamburger, cheese, pastrami. You can get an egg on it if you like. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Well, Rick, I have to tell you one thing. Yeah. I have fallen in love many times with several Jack Mormon girls. Oh, no. Mo Mormon girls, as has been discussed exhaustively in this program. The most beautiful. The hottest women I have ever yeah. seen in my life in Utah. Uh, and and there is the three week Mormon window uh, where uh, they fought you know they 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 get the eighteen nineteen twenty they graduate and they move away from home they fall away from the church and then you have about three weeks uh, before they uh, become overridden with guilt and they run back to the bosom of their heavenly father <laughs> so you got like a three week window which is fine because then it's like you don't have to break up with them because after three weeks bam you know they're like I'm sorry I've just been reconsidering and I have to I want to go to the celestial kingdom and I, uh, we have to end this and you're like fine. 
I've been there, buddy. All right. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. We're a break. We'll come back. Uh, Chris Jericho. Uh, from the WWE will be joining us here in a while. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Sarah Dillon's top five show tunes. Um, worst song you've ever heard. We got that. Uh, the Zeppelin giveaway. That's all on the way. You say there's the Rick Emerson show. last box set, the Prince of Darkness box set. There's a whole disc of just duets, and one of them is Ozzy Osbourne and Miss Piggy singing Born to be Wild. Oh, that'd be so funny. It's awful. I mean, it's great, but it's terrible. Uh, later on, next hour, we'll do It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard, Sarah Dillon's Top 5 Show Tunes. Uh, just short while, we'll talk to Chris Jericho, uh, an American, Canadian television and stage actor. Best known for his uh, performances as part of the World Wrestling Entertainment of the WWE. It's a, it's a mark of how old I am. I still want to call him WWF. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Our good friend James does some work uh, here and at various other radio stations in the CBS Radio Portland family. Hello, James. Hello. You most know, notably, and I I was told I have to say this. If Dennis is talking him, telling most him. Most notably on the Miles Around Show every Saturday on this very fine station. Just for the record, I was going to say that. Dennis, you owe me 20 bucks. I was, gonna, I was actually going <laughs> to say that, but I, you know, it's better that you did it now. Uh, all right, so you know like way more about Chris Jericho than I do because I uh, I have always admired and I still really respect and admire uh, professional wrestling for its showmanship and just for the way that they pull off the biggest show on earth night after night after night. I haven't followed it as a fan for a while, but I know you. I haven't followed it as a fan for a while, but I'm I'm very aware of uh, my favorite wrestlers. I kind of you know keep tabs on them. I don't watch as much anymore, but uh, you know I check you know I read the the websites and just check and see how everyone's doing, and if I'm in a store and I see a magazine, oh, what's going on here, you know? Favorite wrestler of all time, go. Jeff Hardy. Okay. See, and I see, and this is how old, can I ask how old you are? Uh, 33. Of course I can, because I'm not interviewing you for a job, so I can ask. <laughs> um, uh, see, as, and, uh, so, I'm, so I'm a year older than you, so I did, the, the, we're around the same, uh, the same era then, and I grew up, and I think for the longest time when I was a kid, uh, for me, it was always, uh, it was always Roddy Piper. Uh, but I, I did, remember Piper. Yeah. I did go through this kind of Sergeant Slaughter phase when I was about nine. He uh, was back in wrestling for a he, little he while. He was around. Him and the Iron Sheik were both back, actually. Slaughter was back working for, or uh, God, we're such tools, um, working for the Vince McMahon character, I think. I think yeah. he was working for Mr. McMahon. Yeah, because when I was really watching it big between, like, 99 and 2002, uh, he made a lot of uh, appearances. And I was like, oh, wow, I haven't seen that guy since I was little yeah you know and he was always fun to watch when i was a kid uh you know? i gotta take when i was in uh sixth grade uh boy I, he aged badly too sergeant slaughter <laughs> yeah well, wrestling has got to age you in fact richie bristol um this is probably a good time to go ahead and get chris jericho on the phone so we'll let you do the if you want hey, to call out to him a specific song um uh, the last song that they released was called enemy and this is what his, this enemy. is Fozzy. this is his uh yeah his band fozzy great his... band it's him and the guys from stuck mojo is it clean do you suppose yeah okay uh, so, Richie, if you want to go ahead and uh, wrangle uh, Chris Jericho for us. Uh, and he's got a new book out, which we're going to be talking about as well. But I, uh, when I was in sixth grade, I had this um, I had this teacher who was, sounds like a gag, but he was, uh, he was a former Marine drill sergeant. 
and he had been in the Marines. He was a drill instructor, blah, 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 got out. And, you know, of course, where do you go when you're a drill instructor? Well, you go to a Catholic school. And, you know, yeah, that makes sense. And the, the, the skill set is almost identical. A lot of like, you're nothing. Get on the floor. <laughs> and uh, and so, but he looked exactly like Sergeant Slaughter. And I won't, I won't say the guy's name. I don't know if he's still teaching. But he looked just Did like, he wear the hat? No, he didn't. Uh, he he uh, he did wear the sort of snake eye sunglasses, like the guy oh, in Cool yeah, Hand yeah. Luke sometimes. And it was just it was more than a little freaky, actually. Uh, and especially because that was around the same time that I was like a big was a wrestling aficionado. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was a little disturbing, actually. All right, I'm going to read a couple emails. We will get Chris Jericho uh, here in just a moment. Let me see here. We've got this Rick. Uh, uh, this email says well, there's nothing but Utah questions uh, that are coming in now. Um, uh, I just don't want to read any of these missed things. They're just going to be such, just going to be such a downer. Uh, I'll read one here. He says, "Rick, I read this great quote from Stephen King. The interviewer asked, where do you get your ideas?'" Uh, Stephen King just looked at him and said, "That's the wrong question to ask. It's not where do I get my ideas, but why do I get my ideas?" And then he says, "As a boy, Stephen King watches. See, th- this, this seems uh, like BS to me." He says, "As a boy, Stephen King watched his best friend get mowed down by a train." Maybe that answers the question. I've never. That seems a little urban legendy to me, uh, because I've never heard that before. That, well, that was me. I totally sounds like the plot of Stand by Me. It totally sounds like the plot of Stand by Me. Um, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's evidence that it actually uh, happened. But there's a great book actually. If you are a Stephen King fan, there's actually two books I would recommend. One is called Bare Bones: Conversations on Terror with Stephen King. Uh, and it's just, just what it sounds like. It's a whole series of interviews that he did with Rolling Stone, GQ, Penthouse, whatever. It's just all of these assembled uh, Stephen King interviews put into one book. Uh, the other is a book called On Writing, uh, A Memoir of the Craft. And that is, it's probably the closest thing to an autobiography he's ever going to write because I know he said he's not interested in like, like a regular straight autobiography. So On Writing is half uh, autobiography and then the second half of the book uh, is all sort of writing technique and and tips and you know just real nuts and bolts, real very easy to follow mechanical observations about how to hone your skills as a writer. And even if you're not interested in writing horror, if you're not interested in no matter what kind of writing you do, uh, it it really is tremendously valuable. Um, I actually used it a lot when writing Bigger Than Jesus. Um, it really did come in handy. Will Wheaton endorses it. So, um, but he tells this story about. Two different stories, actually. One is how his mother described in great detail how she saw someone jump to their death off a building and land right in front of her. And he says he has this clear, like the clearest memory of his mother telling him that as a bedtime story when he was about five. She's trying to sleep and she's like, did I ever tell you about the time someone landed on the sidewalk right in front of me after plunging 80 stories, like in graphic oh. detail? And then the second thing is, I mean, he has a million of these stories, but the, the second thing is how... Um, when he was a kid, he got a terrible, terrible um, ear infection. I don't know what the actual nature of the infection was, but where his eardrums, so horrifying, his eardrums were swelling up. And, of course, your eardrum is, it's, you know, it's a sealed, your eardrum is a, it is, is a sealed container. Um, and so his eardrums were just swelling up and swelling up and swelling up like balloons. And he described, I will not relay the story here in any sort of gruesome detail, because he does it better than I ever could. But he talks about going to the hospital three different times um, to have his eardrums punctured. 
Ugh. Because they had to, and he's and he's and he said that you know they they take him in there and they lay him down in just a white room and the bright lights and of course the doctor says those the doctor says those famous words. Now Stephen, this won't hurt at all. And then he said he just sees the needle and he talks and he describes it just so in such a gripping fashion of seeing the needle and then feeling like the okay. presence of the needle. I'm I'm really not going to go on that much, but just not even. But just how you, he could sense that the needle was near his ear, and then just, you know, and then they just, and then they just punctured, and they had to do it twice more. He had to go back to the hospital twice more, and of course, after the first time, you never, you, you no longer believe the doctor when he says this won't hurt at all because you know it's going to hurt like effing hell. Um, and so he does put a lot of his fixation on sort of the darker side of life and things that are traumatic and awful on the fact that they, like, had to, like, strap him to a table and puncture his eardrums three times when he was about six or seven years old. So, he, you know, and he said, to this day, he said there are things that trigger that, like certain smells, uh, certain uh, metallic sounds, like the sound of metal on metal, because he remembers that needle being taken out of the tray. Uh. It's all really awful. Uh, Richie, what's the word? What is the, uh, what is the good word? We have pa- we have paged him. We have paged him to the column line. Who has a pager? Is that like a thing of like to leave a to leave a paging number? So did you want to just listen to the music now, or did you want me to play it when Chris Jericho on? to the white courtesy phone? I'm sorry, what? Do you want me to play the music now, or um, I'm, are we gonna play? Well, let's him? do this uh, actually, because we're gonna. What we'll do is we will. Uh, we're waiting on Chris Jericho uh, to get on the show with us. So while we're waiting for him, this is a good chance to play the Timmy Ryan thing. Uh, that Richie hooked you up with. So let me give a little background on what you're about to hear. And, of course, I say knowing that as soon as I start doing this, Chris Jericho will call in. Then do the background quick. Um, so Timmy Ryan, who works here, and then when he's not here, he works in adult cinema. Uh, he does the score and the soundtrack for... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say he was an actor. No. No, well, not <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. He did, like, one movie, I think. He never said that. Did he say I that? I think he told me that he did one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I can't wash away the ego. Um, the uh, so he so I came in today and there were two porn films sitting at my desk. One is Northwest Naughty Amateurs, Volume One, for which he did the music under the pseudonym of um, Zeus Headstrong. The other is, uh, by the way, Richie's letting us know that we left him a message, we paged him, and he is now calling the publicist. Uh, to find out the deal. Okay, and uh, the other DVD that Timmy Ryan brought in is this entire video called, well, it's just called adult movie trailers. And it's all of these trailers from the 70s for sort of classic uh, porn films. And so do we have one of these to play? We do. So what you're about to hear is the, this is for real, this is not a gag, uh, this is uh, a porn film trailer from, I would guess, around 1974. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Richie if you want to. Yeah. These two girls are not really lesbians. They are a part of the free-thinking group you have heard about in America today called swingers. Swingers call themselves sexually free people who take their love and lust where they find it. CIM Productions brings you Spread It Around, the amazingly frank true story about the birth of a swinger. In Spread It Around, you will follow Nancy Lewin as she crosses over the threshold from the so-called nice girl to a world where sex is king, where every new partner, no matter the sex, brings a new pleasure. Fantastic. And where anything and everything goes. 
This is exactly how Miles Davis wanted this song to be used, I'm sure. You'll see Nancy initiated into the land of lesbos by two expert <laughs> female lovers. That's fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. witness to her first experience in true swinging as her fiancé watches. Spread it around is a vivid graphic experience in the world of today's sexually enlightened society. It will dispel any illusions about the meaning of the word swinger. That's wonderful. Excellent. Fantastic. Somebody needs to watch Spread It Around. I, uh, let's Do you know here. what that sounds like? It sounds like the films you used to watch in science class in high school. Totally. <laughs> the Gypsy Moth. A scourge upon the Redwood Forest. That's exactly what it sounds like. No, you're totally right. There is, uh, I'm looking here, this is actually volume three. Uh, that is merely the first cut uh, on this uh, on this DVD of, uh, of perverse trailers. While well, I'm thinking about, let's just it's fine up here. Status. By It's quite pungent. Let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson show our good friend uh, Richie Bristol. Hello, Richie Bristol. Hello. Hey. So, what do we know about Chris Jericho? Uh, I've left a message. I also paged him on that little thing and uh, called his publicist, and she's trying to get a hold of him. Okay. Right so now. the publicist has attempted to track him down at the moment. Right. All right. So what we will probably do, because we're actually kind of coming up on the top of the hour here, um, so what we'll probably do is we'll take a break here in a few minutes because mm-hmm. um, we got a break coming up anyway, and that'll put us back. And we'll come back at the top of the hour. That'll put us back on track and so forth. And then, uh, are you going to be in the building, James? I will be in the building. All right. So I'll tell you what. We will track you down when and if uh, we hook up with Chris Jericho then later on the show. Probably be, uh, I don't know, I would imagine at least 10 minutes before that happens. Though. I'll be around. So, all right. We will find you, my friend. All right. Uh, let's take a break here, and we'll be back after this. It's 503-733-297. Now I want to do everything in the uh, the porno sex trailer guy voice. What's her name? Lulu? Cindy? Nancy. Nancy. All right. Fantastic. Back after this, the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Now listen, everybody. We are experiencing some kind of disaster. No. It's the end of days. Oh, my God. Something in the mist. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. I don't know whether it's man-made or natural, but I do know that it's definitely not supernatural. What's that? I don't know. Like something was like pressing against the door. But the only way we're going to help ourselves is to seek rescue. We're going out. You tie this around your waist. Or four. They'll let us know you got at least 300 feet. There's not enough there. Nothing in the midst. Unless you're wrong. Yes. Chuck would kill me.
to take thought, the saved and the damned. Read the good book. It calls for blood. Think something got in. Guys, I hear something. Don't you know the truth? We are being punished. You fight. Who knows how far this mess is spread? It could be the whole world for all we know. Wouldn't make us any less dead. If something happens, cut and run. You can't go out. I won't allow it. Won't allow it. It was them! Bring down the final wrath upon us! We want the poor. That's what bring down the wrath of God! From the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. All movie trailers are the same. They all have that door slam sound effect between shots. Oh, and it's yeah. And they do this. They they in the last 15 years in the post Michael Bay era, they all escalate in speed. The shots get faster and faster and faster and faster, and then boom. And then a final, the final tagline. Yeah. And then a final like, you know, and then it's done. Yeah. I've had enough of that. It's a terrible, uh, it's it's a terrible cliche uh, at this point. But the, boy, that trailer just brings it all back. Oh God, seeing them getting chills again. Yeah. Well, it's a good time for that because we're going to have snow in Portland on Saturday. <laughs> oh. But it'll likely melt by the evening. It was snowing last night. Yeah. I thought flushing, but not snow. Well, I mean, yeah, it was real wet snow, but I mean, it was big flakes of wet snow coming down last night. So yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, just you know, we were uh, we're just talking to Richard in the break. So I. Uh, we had him call the uh, uh, the uh, Chris Jericho people, and it's, it's just that we don't even have time to do it today, even if he called. Uh, so we're going to tell them, or I guess he has told them, uh, that if uh, Chris Jericho, I mean, it's not like I'm some big guy. Chris Jericho has to wait don't for Rick Don't expect us to grovel to well, you. I just, I just don't have any time. Even if we wanted to do it now, i got no time left. Yeah. Uh, so if Chris Jericho uh, is able to do it tomorrow, he's able to do it tomorrow. If not, it doesn't happen. So, uh, you that's think we have plenty of time to do it with the Red strike. So, so you would think. All right. Here's that Tim Riley. Stories are lies that we know aren't true, but we read them anyway. Dateline, New York. Small servings of food on small plates is the hottest new trend in U.S. restaurants. Sure, sure it is. Low-calorie food and lots of exercise, too. Men talk more than women. That, according to another survey. Also not true. Back to more truthful news. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a pig about it, but I mean, I saw that same story this morning where it's like, you know, this just in... Women are perceived to talk more, and I know that I'm the worst person to be talking about how men talk less than women. Mm. Um, but this, you know, the, the, the cliche is that women talk more, but really, it's men, and it's just not true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying it's not a pejorative. Talk, don't talk. I don't care. Rick Emerson's not passing judgment. Yeah. Uh, but men, I think, are men enjoy. Commu- in, 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 I, I do believe this to be generally true. That for men, communication is simply a means to an end. If you need a guy to bring beef jerky to your Super Bowl party, I'm sorry, for the big game, uh, you call your friend, you go, hey, hey, it's me. Uh, I need you to bring beef jerky for the big game happening in Phoenix on uh, February 28th. Can you please do that? And the guy goes, yeah, what kind of beef jerky? You go, peppered? And he says, that it? You go, beer too. And he says, what kind? PBR or whatever's cheap. Okay, bye. Done. The men simply talk to get something done. For women, and I'm just saying this is true, women talk like as its own end. We all know that this is the case. Um, I remember the first time 
that I had, well, I remember that Joni and I had this big fight at one point because she was like bringing up some issue, some problem she had with me or somebody or whatever. And like at one point I was like saying like, I don't have a solution. You know, there's no, I don't have the answer to this. And she actually snapped at me. She's like, I don't expect you have an answer. Just listen to me complain about it. And I went, well, okay. So the solution was to simply let her talk about it. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So everybody just quit peddling this fiction and let's all just move on. China's last-minute cancellation of a U.S. Navy visit to Hong Kong was not the case of misunderstandings. Uh, they're mad at us because uh, we gave the Dalai Lama some uh, trinket or something or other, and uh, we sold some uh, weapons to Taiwan. The Chinese think they're going to just fill us full of lead without firing a shot. Did you know that many holidays... Did you used... write that headline yourself? I did. You ought to trademark that right now. Okay. But who would care, really? Everyone, Tim. Well, I just do it for the glory of the business. All right. God bless you. <laughs> Did you know that many holiday seasonal foods can irritate your esophagus? It is true. Uh, Dr. McGee and Dr. Brunton of uh, some hospital in Puget Sound say beware of holiday heartburn. Rich in fatty foods, uh, fried foods, garlic and onions, chocolate, peppermint. Is anything um, that tastes good. <laughs> hey, I'm not even done with my list yet. Is this a morning show that we're listening in on? Is this like a uh, is this like a listen line for a consultant? No, these are our zany Puget Sound doctors. Tom and Cindy uh-huh. show. All right, and this is it can irritate what your esophagus. Uh, here, there is some. Okay, I'm sorry. It's gonna make a dumb joke. No, please make it. No, no please stop you. <laughs> no, I was gonna make a dumb joke about. Yes. I was gonna make a dumb like esophagus reminded me of snuffleupagus for some reason. Snuffleupagus. So it's all bird. I was gonna do. <laughs> Bird, you've irritated me with all this holiday food. Well, there are some steps you can avoid uh, to uh, not to irritate your esophagus. Limiting alcohol and coffee, not uh, particularly in the evening, you know, if you're at a party. Um, really reminding yourself to stop eating three hours before you think you're going to be going to bed. Not gonna happen. No one does any of this. This is, this is stupid advice that will not be followed by anybody. Oh, Imus is going to be interviewed by Barbara Walters on 2020 tomorrow night at 10. Oh, Bird. The Olsen twins have put their New York apartment in the West Village on the market. The asking price, $12 million. It's yeah, amazing, Yeah, right too. on that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Time for Brittany Watt. Here's, oh, man. Okay. your Britney watch for Thursday. Now, Sarah, is this the complete Britney watch? You know, I can't find that story, but it, was, it wasn't it was that much more to it. I heard There's a little bit of it last night, too, on Don and Mike. I just can't find the part they were referring to. But okay. this part is disturbing enough. This is from uh, the new Star magazine, where someone reports on the state of Britney's... What is the headline there, Tim? Uh, Star magazine goes deep into Britney Spears' crazy sex house. And crazy sex house does have at least three different meanings, really, when you're talking about Britney Spears. So here we go. Britney's fantasy room is a bedroom on the second floor of her Mediterranean villa off Mulholland Drive. Reveals an insider who has seen it. Heavy, dark curtains cover the windows. And the only light comes from bordello red bulbs, which barely illuminate the pink and black color scheme and large bed with black satin sheets. Britney is sexually obsessed. 
Her fantasy room is filled with sex toys from ticklers, whips, and chains, deferred tipped handcuffs hanging from a metal bed frame. All right, can we? I'm just going to pull up a chair. Hold on a second. Ugh. All right, can you go back and start listing these items one by one, and we'll just address these as we go on. Sex toys, ticklers, whips, chains, fur-trimmed handcuffs. Okay, that's the one that caught me right there. Fur-trimmed handcuffs. If you need to ask your, ask yourself this question. Do I own fur-fringed handcuffs? If the answer is yes, you are trash. You, you really are. There's no getting... And, and, and please, let's understand each other. I'm not talking about handcuffs as such. And again, we're not prudes. We don't pass judgment on the Rick Emerson Show about most things. It's not handcuffs. It's the frizzy pink kind of handcuffs. That, like, you and I saw those at Fantasy that time. Uh-huh. You know where it's like handcuffs, but like the nice kind. You know, where it's like, where it's like, like a really soft, like pink leopard print on the handcuffs. You are just uh, irredeemably trashy if you own, like, pink, fuzzy handcuffs. So there's just no getting around that fact. That is like an absolute benchmark. All right. Well, she also keeps her sex toys, including spanking paddles, displayed in a glass jar. Brittany's center of sin has mirrors on the ceiling, provocative pictures of herself, and a variety of lewd, scantily clad poses. Covering the walls and a closet stuffed with erotic outfits. First of all, imagine... I, I don't even know where to... What? It really isn't that surprising. No, but I mean, photos of herself. How Dirk Diggler can you possibly be? Well, because she's probably, whenever she's wooing men and bringing them back there, she's like, see? See, look what I used to look like. <laughs> oh, that's maybe that's what the men can achieve and sustain. Mm-hmm. Don't look at me, baby. Look at how I used to look. Oh, that's a sad thought. I know, right above the bed, honey. Seriously, yeah. Look, uh, look. There's, there's me three or four years ago. Aren't I, uh, aren't I, aren't I more attractive there? Oh, that's just. I hadn't even thought about that. I was thinking it was like an ego thing. Like, look how sexy I am. Mm-hmm. But no, it's, it really is. That, that probably is for the benefit of any male partners who may need to uh, remain in a state of excitement. Oh, that's just sad. And a closet stuffed with erotic outfits. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, Brittany doesn't confine her bizarre sexcapades to her fantasy room. She even keeps sex toys in plain sight. Next to another favorite romping spot, romping. the living room couch. <sighs> another source tells the star she has a large covered candy dish on the living room table that has sex toys and lotions inside of it. Lotion, that's an unpleasant word. Brittany calls it her pleasure chest. Who keeps a jar full of sex toys? Like, just on the table. Yeah, like... Hi, Mom. I mean, in general, though, like just a jar full of that's just well, really you weird. gotta keep them somewhere, I suppose. I mean, she's also into all sorts of wild things, blindfolds, spankings, having her clothes torn off, and she doesn't even clean up after she's done. <laughs> she leaves it for the housekeeper to pick up. Oh, imagine having to clean up after one of Britney's drug-fueled sex romps. <laughs> Can, it is a mark of how far we have gone with this girl that I don't find any of this arousing in the slightest. No. Anybody? No. Why would it be arousing? She well, hasn't been... Have you found her arousing in like, the last no, two but years? No, that, but that's what I'm saying. There was a time not too long ago... That's true, to find a secret sex dungeon. Yeah, when it'd be like, okay, who's the hottest uh, female celebrity? Who is the most universally agreed upon hot female celebrity now? I'm saying for me, I would probably say Scarlett Johansson, maybe. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. Imagine if it was like, here's shocking details of like Scarlett Johansson's sex room. And, you know, like, here's what she wears and here's what she does. And he, she's got, you know, this is the toys she uses or whatever. There's a segment of the society be like, yeah, that's pretty hot. Uh, yeah, I like to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. This is not only not hot, it's just revolting in some way that I can't really quantify. 
I don't know why. There's a time when this would have been. But, I mean, imagine that she has sunk so low. I did not think we could get past the point of, like, you know, hey, look, here's my vagina. No, it's not for me. Thanks. But now, even worse, this is actually now she's indicating us what she does with it. And we don't care. I mean, it's just sad. Do you suppose that she herself leaked the story for some of the, um, for the same reason that she seems to compulsively want to show off her genitals everywhere? Probably, because she's the one who calls a lot of them. Like, she complains about the paparazzi, and she's the one who calls them and lets them know where she's going. And the fact that she made her entire, I mean, everything, it, it comes from marketing herself sexually. So, like, she's just, like, giving you a harder and harder sell. Mm-hmm. It's no longer like, look at me, I'm in a short skirt. Then it's like, uh, look at my business uncovered. Now it's like, look what, look at these objects that I like to be, uh, you know, that I like to have used upon me while I'm nude. It, you know, it's just, it's just it's like more and more information, not realizing that she has reached the point where the information is no longer wanted by us. We're just, you know, stop sharing. Um, so I've got this a little bit more on this. Um, an inside source said Spears a better clean. I cannot believe this. So this is from the same story. This is from Star. We have pieced together this Star magazine article from two different stories. Britney Spears gets the kids for Christmas because Kevin Federline got them for Thanksgiving. But an inside source said Spears had better make sure the locks on her sex room are in working order and... Clean the feces off her couches. Obviously, the maid's not doing her job. The star says that in the X-rated room, by the way... Oh, God. Well, it's not human feces. It's dog feces. My, uh, this is just painting. How is the dog involved in this? Richie, I hate to... I was going to put this off, Richie. I, uh, I hate to speak to you in this fashion, but... I would do it myself, but we're too far from a break. Could you please uh, go to the medicine cabinet and bring me, like, some aspirin or something? This whole thing is just giving me a headache. I just feel overwhelmed by all this. I can't believe I require Tylenol because of Britney Spears. Um, What do you suppose, Sarah, and I'll ask you this question, uh, just because you have a good sense for these things. You have a good uh, tachometer. What are the most cliche, sexy costumes around? A Playboy bunny costume? No, well, that's not one of them, but you're close. Um, I'm going to dress up as something sexy. Oh, God. Cliché sexy costumes for women. Like Halloween costumes? Yeah. Cliché sexy. Nurse? Uh, No, again, very close, though. Uh, In the X-rated room, she wears, among other things, and I'm betting those two are also in there, the obligatory, and we're no one one to throw stones on this, but the schoolgirl uniform, which Uh, I have to admit that we're still suckers for that, a maid's uniform, French maid, undoubtedly, like Colleen Camp and Clue, mm-hmm. and the Cinderella outfit. Then there are those less than hygienic sofas located outside the so-called sex room. Oh, God bless you, Richie. Thank you so much. I appreciate. I appreciate that. And an anti-diarrhea pill. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't really ask for that. Oh, he just brought me one of everything. He didn't bring me the menstrual. Be cramp. careful with those. Um... Those knockoff aspirin ones, because they're really chalky, and one of them got stuck in my throat. And they have time. caffeine in them, by the way. They uh-huh. do? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, he brought me ibuprofen, uh, also this pain aid, and an anti-diarrheal. Let's put that over there. No, you might need that. Um, Maybe he knows you better than you think. Mm-hmm. The stinky... Oh, God, it is human feces. It is not human feces. I'm looking at this right here. Is it her children's feces? There are the less than hygienic sofas outside the sex room, the stinky remnants of diaper runoff. Oh, I have to leave at this point. And we're done. 
and dog accidents. Okay. Are leading the court monitor to declare You've actually driven Tim out of health the room. hazard. Are you leaving? Yes. Bye now. There's your Britney Bye, watch Tim. for uh, Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. Diaper runoff. Are they going to play the Britney song this time? I don't know, those bastards. I love the Nickel Arcade guys, but seriously, you got to give give the people what they come for. I'm not trying to do uh, diminish the importance of your other songs, but you, don't want, you don't want to be the new The watch the, the Walkman. <sighs> the Watchman. The Watchman, yes. You don't want to be the new Alan Moore band. Uh, you don't want to be the new The Walkman and earn the wrath of Sarah by not playing your hit single. And, and let's not have any illusions about this. That is a hit single. Uh, so you got to, uh, I look at your MySpace play, uh, play, play logs. Oh. Um, no, I'm just, cause I was, it was, I wanted to see if people were pushing the song and that you go to their MySpace page and that Britney song has got like five times the plays or everything else. I mean, the other songs are great. They really are. Uh, but it cannot be denied. The Britney song has struck a resonant chord with the people. Diaper runoff. Jesus. That's really the worst phrase of the day. Yeah. The soggy remnants of diaper so runoff. So when are we going to do my, um, Fabulous top five. I, I was dead. What? what well, we Tim do? left, uh, so we have to wait for Tim oh, to come I didn't back. even give him a list anyway. No. Uh, yeah, you got to type that out. Okay. Well, here's what we got. Ugh. It's got Ajita. Um, so here's what we got. We got the uh, I got the, we got the Zeppelin contest, worst song ever, and the top five. Uh, worst song ever, we may have to bump. We got to do the Zeppelin contest. Let me do these calls, and then, Richie, as soon as I'm done with these calls, we'll do the Zeppelin contest. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I help you, sir and madam, as the case may be? Hey, Rick. This is Tom. How are you? I am I'm fine. Trying What's to up? pull you back from the disgusting to the merely horrific. Yeah. When I was seven years old in nineteen sixty, I had the same deal as Stephen King. I had a whole series of ear infections uh-huh. and they hurt so much just being there that when they took me in to puncture me, uh they did the same thing, just like Stephen King. All they did was tell me to stare at the light in the ceiling and that was that. Drained it good. Ugh. And I mean, yeah. so this is your ear. This is like the eardrum. Yeah, I didn't want to elaborate any more than you did, but that's Thank exactly you. it. That, on the scale of one to ten, what was the pain? At that moment, not much, because it had hurt so much for so long anyway. Well, okay then. <laughs> they did it in the doctor's office, uh, and I was in my little PJs. Yeah, no, he did describe it as the word. He described it as pain beyond imagination. It was that, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and the and this is uh, not graphic, but he this is just weird. He said when they punctured his eardrums, it makes a wet kissing noise. Uh, and that for me true. is like the creepy detail for some reason. This is true. Yeah. But the uh, staring at the ceiling light was the thing for me. Uh, yeah. um, also, Tuesday night on yes, um, Family Guy. Yeah. There was an electrifying little line toward the end. There was a little baby down a well, and if you know the character Stewie, yeah, he looks down the well and he says. The same line from the um, oh the kidnapper guy. I put the lotion. I oh, told right, the thing yeah. put the lotion in the basket, and the, the little baby said it, and it was just like. Oh. Was it creepy? Yeah, it was creepy. It was like I got zapped. It was just amazing. Excellent, for fantastic. Two Thank fantastic. you, sir. Bye. There you go, my friend. I'm waiting for the inevitable Stewie Mr. Burns crossover episode. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, hey Rick. What's up? What's up? Hey, I wouldn't have called otherwise, but. Just the thought of the term diaper runoff uh, is so wrong. I, I, 
I don't think she could sing to any lower in humanity than, than she already has. You know what that phrase, just, you know what phrase I also don't like? I don't like the phrase diaper bag. Diaper, diaper bag. bag I mean, I've, I've got kids, so I've dealt with diaper bags, but I never even ter- thought of the term of something associated with erosion and then diaper Rich, filth. Richie's uh, typed on the screen, two cups, one Britney. Oh, my God. Yeah. And one other, one other thing, that whole story about the eardrum thing, the yeah. first thing that came to my mind was the final five minutes of, have you ever seen the movie Fire in the Sky? Uh, that's the alien probing movie. I love movie. that movie. That is that still scares yeah, me. I've never it's, seen it, but I. I oh, you, 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 I mean, you, it's not the best movie. In the, you know, I'm a big Close Encounters fan as far yeah. as abduction stuff goes. But yeah, that's Fire the Travis. The last, Travis Walton. Last, Travis, whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah, Travis Walton. Yeah. And uh, but the the last when I saw it in the theater with like my my uh, my dad and my buddy, we the literally the, that last five minutes of that movie the whole row you could feel the row of chairs shaking. Ugh. uncontrollably just because of the sheer creepiness and terror of being, you know, pierced and, and, and restrained by, you know, whatever. But anyway, I'll that let you go with that. messed up. That still gives me nightmares. Like, I, I, yeah. And it holds up, and it's totally cheesy, and it's it's really old now. But, I mean, just the things that they do to this guy and, like, where he ends up when he's abducted yeah. is so yep. creepy. Uh, all right. Thank yep. you, sir. Yep, sir. Thank all you. All right. There you go. All right. Uh, no, no, we'll do the Zeppelin contest okay. here, and then we'll break. Are you okay? Uh, what? Are you okay? No, I just have this headache. I just, it, it really, it's not because of Brittany. Uh, it really isn't. Uh, I think I had a little, little, too little, too little caffeine earlier today. And it's just, and I don't mean to sound melodramatic about this, but the Brittany thing, it's just so overwhelming. You know, it's like one of those stories where, like, where do you even begin? I, in a, okay, this is a strange phrase. I feel the same way about Britney Spears sometimes as I do about, like, the O.J. Simpson case, or we were talking about Rodney King earlier, or, um... Uh, you know, any any sort of big cultural event like that, where you just, it is such a microcosm, like there is, or, or, or Elvis, or Michael Jackson, or there is so much, I mean, the Britney thing really, I mean, she's horrific, she's a skank and whatever, fine, but it's just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, this, the saga of Britney Spears is really amazing. I don't mean to make it more than it is, but if you step back and look at just, where she started, what she started as, and then you look at her now, and I think we do, we've said this time and time again, that we have lost perspective even on how crazy she is. I mean, it, it, it just like at the head shaving, I think we started to lose perspective. Like you were so far down the rabbit hole at that point mm-hmm. that you can't even conceive it. I'm trying to think of somebody that is like analogous to Britney Spears that we could use by way of comparison. Like what do you if, mean, like that this has happened before? Well, no, I'm saying, well, I'm saying like, to, to, to remember, because I think we forget that Britney at one point was really normal and hot and seemed so innocent. That was the thing. Remember one when she was like an innocent little sweet Southern girl? And now she's like, she shaves her head. She has diaper runoff. She shows her vagina to everyone. I mean, who is like that now that like if they went crazy, it would really be staggering? I mean, I'm trying to think of somebody now. Like that, that Hannah Monta- Montana girl. Riley Cyrus or yeah. whatever her name is. Yeah, totally. Like, imagine if she just showed up tomorrow and she had, like, a swastika carved in her forehead. I mean, th- that is sort of what this is like. Anyway, all right, Richie, we'll take caller five here uh, for a shot at the Zeppelin six-disc set. That's the Zeppelin Mothership uh, set, uh, the DVD of Song Remains the Same, and the CD of the Song Remains the Same from Rhino. Oh, I'm sorry, not from Rhino, from Warner Home Video. Uh, and, of course, the Holiday Alefest gift pack. We'll take a call number five for your shot at that. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, while we are taking caller number five, let me do this thing right here. Greetings and salutations, Rob Johnson. 
You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same on DVD and CD, the two-disc Mothership Collection, and the Holiday Ale Fest gift bag, as well as the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are a little bit better than everyone else. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. Thank you for listening, Rob Johnson. You are the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Sign up to become an AM970 Glorious Bastard at 970.am. All right, fantastic. That was beautiful. Uh, let me see here. Let me uh, turn this down. Let me get my Zeppelin cuts ready here. Yeah, I don't mean to make, uh, to make more of the Britney thing than I do. I think future generations... It's like Marilyn Monroe. I guess it probably that is the closest thing. It's like Marilyn Monroe, uh, who was just this, you know, perfect, innocent, sweet kind of artificially so. But then they put her on the girl and made her change her name. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Way to bottom line. Uh, See, you know what I can always count on you to do, Sarah? I can always count on you to step in and just sort of bottom line it and, and just finish a conversation when I'm clearly just going to be going. Put a period off. at the end of a run-on sentence. Yeah, when I'm just going to be going. And another thing. Uh, all right. Uh, hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Are you a Zeppelin fan? Very big. All right, my friend. I'm going to give you the option now. You will have a, you will now have the option of answering a piece of Zeppelin trivia or identifying a Zeppelin song done in a different style. What is your choice, sir? Ooh. Let's go with the identify song. All right. Uh, now, because you are, because uh, you chose the method by which you will uh, have a shot at this, I will then choose the style of music. So I will now, sir, uh, be playing you a Zeppelin style, a Zeppelin song done in a different style. You then must identify the song. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, hold on here. All right, identify. I'll play it for about 15 seconds, then I'll give you 10 seconds to think about it. Identify this Led Zeppelin song. Sir, what is that Zeppelin song? Um, do you need, yeah, to, do you need yeah, some time? Yeah, here's some thinking time. All right, sir, what is that Led Zeppelin song? Okay, I think it's rock and roll. Well done, sir. Congratulations. At the wow. last, just as I was opening my mouth to say... His mouth was literally open. I had, it was potted really down low on the phone, so I had to wait for it to come through on the lay on the radio. Ah, <laughs> I see. Okay. I, I was opening my mouth to say, like, lose. All right. Well done, sir. You have won a copy of uh, Led Zeppelin Mothership, as well as The Song Remains the Same on DVD with 40 minutes of new footage. Song Remains the Same on CD from Warner Home Video and a Holiday Ale Fest gift pack, as well as the esteem of your uh, friends and coworkers. Fan freaking death. All right, I'll put you on hold, Richie. We'll get your information. Congratulations. There you go. Thank you. Well done. All right. Well, good for him. I didn't think he was going to get it. I was going to feel bad there for a second. All right, fantastic. Let's break. Come back. Sarah Dillon's top five show tunes of all time. And more of Tim Riley. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I am the 
Let's do this call, and then we'll go to Tim and do a few things there, and then we'll do the top five. Uh, hi, uh, is this Rob Johnson? Yes, that is me. Why, hello, Rob Johnson. You, sir, are the glorious bastard of the week, and God bless you. Well, yeah, apparently. <laughs> you sound really into it. Um, Did you know that you were the... Did you receive an email, or is this the first you've heard of it? Uh, I I listen to you guys every day. I just happened to be in uh, Everett working all week and just was heading home, and all of a sudden you guys came in, and I heard you announce my name. Yes, sir. You are indeed the glorious bastard of the week. You have won the Led Zeppelin two-disc Mothership collection. The song remains the same on DVD. The song remains the same on CD with 40 new minutes of footage uh, for Warner Home Video and the Holiday Ale Fest gift pack. Nice. Congratulations, my friend, and uh, thank you for being a glorious bastard. The Rick Emerson Show salutes you. Yes, I do feel glorious today. Are you spreading the word? Every day. Thank you, Rob. You call us anytime, my friend, and congratulations. All right, take care. There you go, Rob Johnson, glorious bastard of the week. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Baby Fever is sweeping Hollywood. Well, now, Nicole Ritchie... I should say her best friend, Paris Hilton, is looking forward to having a baby of her own. Uh, who is this? Paris Hilton. Yeah, Remember her? Right. Uh, Nicole and I have been playing together since we were two years old. I was just telling her I want a baby so that our babies can play together. I was unclear about this because I didn't think I they were speaking. I didn't. I thought they weren't talking or something. I I thought that they hated each other. You know, no, I they're, the, I they're, they're the um, like rich, bitchy girls. Who are always, like, they've known each other since birth, and they're always going to have their little fights, but they'll right. always come back together, you know? The rich stick together. Don't they, Tim Riley? They do. <laughs> Here's a taser watch. Uh, and by the way, before we do this, Richie Bristol, uh, can you uh, uh, please be getting Sarah Dillon's top five printout from Becca's printer? Uh, that'd be fantastic. Here's your taser watch. This comes to us from uh, Trotwood, Ohio. A policeman forced a pregnant woman to the ground and used a stun gun on her when she refused to answer the officer's question and oh. resisted being handcuffed. The woman went to the police department in the state and suburb to ask officers to take custody of her one-year-old son. The woman told the officer she was tired of playing games with the baby's father. The woman refused to answer questions, became frustrated, and tried to leave the child. The officer feared allowing her to leave could jeopardize the child, so he decided to detain her. So he thought he jeopardized the fetus instead. <laughs> uh, he said the officer grabbed the woman, got the child away from her, and forced her to the ground. When she resisted being handcuffed and tried to get away, the officer used a stun gun on her. The woman wore a winter coat and did not tell the officer she was pregnant. She was totally uncooperative. So she was at the police station because she was trying to give her one-year-old child away. Right, and she probably felt that the one she was about to have might be a better one. I was just going to say, it's, it's a good thing that she's pregnant. It's a good thing she's already reproducing again. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus. You know, and, and look, i got to tell you, when that guy Justin came in today, great guy, by the way, and his son Jaden, who was adorable, mm -hmm. and uh, knew all things Star Warsian. Yeah. Um, they should never be tasered. No, it, they, they should. But he brought in that stun gun, 
that I that I now own. That you now own. And you know what? Just holding it, I felt a little freaked out. I am freaked out. I was talking. Just um, having it, you feel freaked out. I have the battery in my bag, and I left the taser at home because I went out for a little bit last night, and I was telling my friend about it, and I actually took the taser out of my purse because the second that people know that you have one, they're like, "Ooh, let's see it. Yeah. I want to see the little." And you know, it's a matter of time until some drunkard goes, "Hey," you know, and touches you with oh, it. Oh God. Um. You know, if a cop has a taser and he tells you to do a handstand and whistle Dixie, you do it. I mean, really, just self... Never mind. People are stupid. Uh, there's the end of your taser. People are for... stupid. Fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, shall we roll the top five? Five, four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count. Don't you? All right. Uh, so uh, last, what, two weeks ago, Aaron did his top five show tunes. I did mine the other day. Uh, tomorrow, Tim Riley does his top five show tunes today. Mine really aren't shows. They tend to be. I, I found a musical for every single one of them, though. More tune, less show. No, they're fine. All right. So these yeah. are Sarah Dillon's top five show tunes. With honorable mention from Beauty and the Beast, the Beauty and the Beast theme. Your lady awaits. Nerd. <laughs> I know this whole movie by heart. I've only seen this once. I can play this on the piano. Really? Uh-huh. We should have a talent show someday. You can play this on the piano. I can make spaghetti. <laughs> That's a great idea. Oh, and it has the movie footage. Am I supposed to be talking about this? Everyone knows what this is. I really don't, actually. I said I've only seen this once. All I remember is that the ballroom sequence is really fantastic. This is the ballroom sequence. Oh, really? That's the one and sequence Angela that we're going to talk about. as time. She is as old as time. True as it can be. She's Mrs. Potts. That's right. Uh-huh. Barely even She's the tea, teapot thing? Yes. Yeah. And her children are all the little teacups. Unexpectedly. Is there no Mr. Teacup? There is no Mr. Teacup. Yes. When she has a naughty room at home. <laughs> <laughs> a naughty cupboard. Isn't oh. a dumb waiter with me? I'm sorry, I don't mean to ruin this for you, Sarah. No, it's okay. Don't do it for picking. Okay. Oh, don't. All right. Number five from Crybaby, it's King Crybaby. Really? Well done. Look at you. I'm trying to stop that one. Okay. That's fine. So this is uh, Crybaby, the uh, the John Waters film? John Amen Waters to that. Yes. Yeah. Johnny Depp, correct? Oh, big spit correct. girl. Oh, yeah. This counts as a show tune, especially because I think this is a stage play. It now. is a stage play. It started in Seattle on Broadway and it's actually premiering on Broadway in New York. Um, well, it's supposed to be right around this time. God damn, he is hot. Is uh, Ricky Lake in this movie? Yep, he plays his sister. I haven't seen this forever. I think I saw this in high school or shortly thereafter. Boy, Johnny Depp really is the greatest actor of our generation. There's no getting around it. Ed Norton's up there, but it, you think about the fact that this is the same guy who did... This man is also the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. He's also Willy Wonka. He's Hunter Thompson. He's Ed Wood. He's a pirate. 
I mean, he is the greatest actor of our time. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. And he's still so handsome. I just saw pictures of him today. He is just getting better looking. Oh, when he played guitar with Oasis. F him. Number four from Phantom of the Opera, Masquerade. Yes, of course. Monsieur Ferme. Yeah, Andre was a splendid party. I've never seen this. Oh, I've seen it like seven times. Lara too. She saw it uh, in. I think she saw it in L.A. And then she saw it in Utah, where it was apparently retarded. This is the real. This is the coolest part. Well, because it was the first act, and it you know, um, you know the target story, whatever. I mean, I know the gist of it. Yeah, where he's in love. I'm with horribly disfigured. Let me write music for you. Dean Dae, who sings that she's you know in love with somebody else. Right. So this is the opening song in the second act after okay. the intermission and stuff, and it's beautiful. Everyone's dressed up, and they have this huge staircase that everyone's marching down. And... Yeah, I should see this at some point, just because it's you know cultural, it's pop culture, and I feel like I feel poorer for not having seen it. I'm really, truly. Oh, it's amazing. I've liked it every time I've seen it. I think Lou Diamond Phillips is in this. We're hitting the scare. Really? Yeah. Wasn't that long ago? Well, okay. Number three, from Little Shop of Horrors, yeah. Suddenly Seymour. Yeah, look at you. Little Shop of Horrors, well done. Wash off your mascara. This is the second Little Shop of Horrors song that's been on one of these lists. Wipe that lipstick away. I love this. Show me your face. Clean as the morning. I know things were bad. But now they're okay. Suddenly Seymour <laughs> Standing beside you I should have known you would like Cannibal the Musical actually liking this. The YouTube videos of this is hilarious. It's a guy pretending to play the piano. Counting down Sarah Dillon's top five show tunes. Number two from Les Miserables. One day more. Yeah. God has smiled upon you. I know you already mentioned this one. I'm like, damn it. I love this song so much. Joni and I would listen to this a lot. The whole soundtrack to it. This is my mom's favorite musical. It's just really depressing. Uh, this is another thing I've never seen. To Joni's unending one day horror. More. Another day, another destiny. This is Joni's favorite book of all time, I think, too. The, I don't know, Hugo Weaving, These whoever it is. Seem to know my crime will surely come a second time. What is this, like he stole bread or something because it was famine? Yes. Yeah. How can I live when we are parted? One day more. I just feel like I gotta be, like I gotta be throwing daisies. I really didn't like them as much as I like Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera is the big crowd pleaser. It does seem. It's so amazing. It is. Then you can look. There's water on the stage as, he, as he's like paddling the boat through the dungeon. Counting down Sarah Dillon's top five show tunes of all time. And at long last, number one from Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera theme. Have you heard the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's version of this? Of course. Of course. That's the only version I really know. 
actually, the last time I saw Alice Cooper, this was his entrance music. It was pretty great. It is so awesome. The way, oh, the way this the play starts. Because it just opens and there's this chandelier. This huge chandelier hanging on the stage, and there's like a little monkey playing, like a like little toy monkey that's cranked up, and it starts playing music, and all of a sudden, the chandelier crashes, and it starts um, with music. It's really cool. This is a beautiful melody, I will say. This is a beautiful melody. I play this on the piano, too. Really? Actually, I, I do know this song, and my wife has the Phantom soundtracks, which has played, that's played a time or two in our house. This is a really, truly beautiful song. Every time we're in the car, my mother plays this or Neil Diamond's, or um, John Denver's greatest hit, Volume 3. Five, six, and seven, top of the hour of the way through like this. All right, back after this with something a little special. Stay there for three hours.
Jefferson radio program. That's uh, Blood Rock's DOA for Scott, who is flying somewhere. I forget where. I know we've said this before, but the greatest moment ever was when the the, uh, the Emerson Starship guys played this at the listener party, and just like 800 people all going, teach me how that to die. That was so awesome. The best moment ever. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, as the case may be. Oh, it's madam. This is Kara. Hi, hello, Kara. How did we? How did I know that you were going to be calling <laughs> after the show to stuff? Well, calling? I have to say, I was. I'm sorry, Aaron, but man, his top five bit, and so did yours. But for the first time, Sarah and I have something in common. I love her top five. So this is. Let me understand this. Oh, so, awesome. so Aaron's top five and my top. I have to turn off the blood rock. Hold on. Uh, the, so my top five and Aaron's top five did not meet with your approval, but now Sarah's is the first to pass muster. Yes, it, it was a top five that I could sing along to. It was beautiful. <laughs> we were all singing along to. Is that? I'm a... glad I got somebody who didn't really like it. I'm like, that's what. And that's why different them. people. Um, Tim, however, might need to be spanked a little. Lou Diamond Phillips was never in Phantom. Uh, he's in what's it though? He's in a thing, isn't he? He was in Camelot, and he was okay. But Phantom is coming um, live in Portland next summer, as is Les Mis. Broadway Rose is doing Les Mis in June. Why do I suspect that I'll be buying advance, uh, pricey advance tickets for everything like that that comes to town, like, forever? Huh. You, yes, 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 you should. You should give them to her for Christmas. All right. Nice and early. All right. Well, it's, You did say she really does like the Phantom of the Opera. No, it's true. Well, and she said the worst thing ever was that she saw Phantom at some... Uh, you know, it wasn't New York, but it was in L.A. She said it was really great, big, over the top, you, I guess the original cast or whatever the, whatever the hell. And then she went back to visit her parents in Utah, and it happened to be playing in Utah. And she saw it in Salt Lake, and she said it was like the worst thing she's ever seen in her life. It was just so sad. It was like seeing it done basically in a back alley with shadow puppets, apparently. So it's like when I saw West Side Story in Salt Lake City. And everyone, including all of the sharks who are Puerto Rican, just played by just the blondest, blue-eyed, -eyed, like white people you've ever seen in your life. So there's nothing like seeing a blonde, blue-eyed uh, girl uh, try to pass herself off as a Puerto Rican named Maria. All right, excellent. Yes. Thank you, Kara. You're welcome. I have a blonde-haired, blue-eyed friend named Rhaenyra who's Mexican. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's a big world and all. I'm just saying to those of us who grew up watching, uh, you know, Rita Moreno and, and that, of course, not like Natalie Wood was. Uh, it's not like Natalie Wood was all that ethnic herself, to be honest. So even uh, even at that late date, which is, I think, what, 65, I think the Hollywood uh, studio system uh, was still a little bit entrenched in the old guard, as they say. Uh, what, how, long, how much time do we got here? i got about a minute. All right. A little over a minute. Uh, well, damn, man. Uh, oh, hey, uh, well, real quickly here, uh, as we're getting ready to wrap things up here. Oh, sex panther. Oh, this is growing on me. It's quite pungent. Hello, Richie Bristol. So, uh, so do we tell the uh, the Chris Jericho guys it's going to have to be tomorrow if, if he wants to do it? Yep. Because I just even see we had no time. I had to blow up some stuff for this hour regardless. So, um, what did they say? What was going on? I with them? practically called uh, the publicist and. Did you say, look, it's going to have to be tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. I if it happens, it's a cell phone. But all right, I don't want to do. Um, that. Hey, so uh, so tell me about. About this Nordstrom piano guy, because we were trying to ang we were trying to angle to get him on the show. Yeah, he's got a lot of gigs. He's actually at Montgomery Park right now. To I would imagine well, he's at the front page of the Oregonian today. Is so, he a younger uh, guy or older guy? No, he's an old. I would say forties, maybe. I don't know. He's been doing it a long time, I guess. Maybe uh, hard to say. Yeah, like he's, fifty years. Or something. Well, well, he, 
Okay. Oh. He, I don't think he's been doing it. <laughs> he's remarkably well-preserved then. Um, okay, well, we were trying to look in. I mean, I guess probably every idiot had the same idea that I did. Let's get the Nordstrom Piano guy on our show. So uh, maybe we'll do that, maybe we won't. All right. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Aaron, film damn, oh, footage. we didn't talk about the Cobra whiskey today because Aaron Durant's oh. going to be in the studio tomorrow and he'll be drinking some of it. Uh, so, he okay. Be. Uh, he won't be. He'll sign a release pledging not to. Uh-huh. Uh, also, the folks from the Found Film Fe- Festival. Festival, Found Film Festival. The Found Film it's Festival. It's hilarious. Yeah, we're going to talk to them at like two fifteen. All right, that's tomorrow. Maybe Chris Jericho, uh, and perhaps more wacky porn tra- uh, trailers, uh, trailers from the days of uh, of your trailer. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, uh, we want to thank Cena Radio correspondents uh, Steve Castamum, yes, and uh, Lisa Desjardins, uh, as well as well. That's it. Do we have anybody else on today? It's all a blur to me. I don't know. All right, well, whatever. Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stellan for AM970 Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley, Richie Bristol, and phones. Dave's in the gatekeeper. Thanks to everybody. See you tomorrow. Don't let credit. And bye now. Like us next week. I'm going to have a great nothing. These two girls are not really lesbians. They are a part of the free-thinking group you have heard about in America today called Swingers. AM970. KCMD. AM Solid State Attention FM DJs in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep is now concluded. Thanks for listening.